Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep into beloved fantasy lore, characters, themes, theories, and more. Thank you so much for joining us today as we cover chapters 35 and 36, aka the end of part one of Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros. Now, before we begin this deep dive, please, please, please listen closely to our content warning. Most importantly, we are sharing spoilers for all of Iron Flame. While we may be focusing on chapters 35 and 36 today, everything from Iron Flame, Fourth Wing, and anything else Rebecca Yaros has said, it's all on the table. So if you don't know why we will be weeping, screaming, crying, throwing up, weeping again, confused, then celebrating, please go finish the book and then we will be here when you're done and ready to listen. Oh, this is going to be such an emotional roller coaster. I know. I hope everyone's ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I know. It's not even funny. Oh, man. this is Everyone get out your tissues here today. Next up, as always, this podcast, it is rated R, folks. We of Fantasy Fangirls are adults who say adult things with adult words about an adult book. Torture. Torture is pretty adult. It's going to get ugly, folks. So please be mindful of little listening ears. Now, today we also have a quick announcement. We are launching a monthly Fantasy Fangirls newsletter. These emails will include our podcast and event schedule for the month because, oh my gosh, we have so much going on these days. Other fantasy book recommendations, specifically from lesser known authors, to really give them a platform. And there's going to be so much more focus on community. We're going to be lifting each other up. And there's going to be lots of fun little insights from Nicole and I. The link to subscribe is going to be in the show notes, YouTube caption or on our website and social bio links. And last thing, as always, before we jump into our Iron Flame episode six. If you love fantasy fangirls and you want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, especially as we go into 2024, holy cow. And if you want more content, more community connection, discounts on merch, we are about to roll out a lot of new merch, y'all. Early access to ad-free episodes and more. Please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, Cadets and Dragon Riders. And last week, actually, Lexi and I hosted the very first trivia night where we did an Empyrean theme trivia. It was really hard, but everyone did amazing. And it was so fun. We're planning on doing more of those. We also have our monthly live Q&As and so much more. So if you're interested in joining our Patreon, the link is in the show notes or YouTube captions, depending how you're watching. And really and truly, thank you so much for helping us bring these episodes to you. It means the world to us. And we really appreciate it as we head into 2024, where we have really big goals. And they're not even just dreams. They're actual goals that we are working on achieving here for Fantasy Fangirls. Thank you so much for being part of this journey with us. 
like things we didn't even know were possible three months ago are happening. And we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. But enough of that, because now, Lexi, it is time to see our shadow. (laughs) Oh, wow. We're just going to start off right here weeping, huh? Uh -huh. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Let's begin this episode deep dive with Battle Brief, a.k.a. Nicole's summary of what happens in chapters 35 and 36 of Iron Flame. Chapter 35, waking up, Violet looks around and quickly discovers she is in the brig of Bezgayeth and Fuck, she cannot reach Tern. Varish, Nolan, and Nora, the truthsayer and Varish's henchwoman, come in and begin the interrogation process. They just want to know three things in regards to Lyra's journal. One, how'd you steal it? Two, who'd you steal it with? And three, why? Apparently, those royal wards had a tripwire alarm set up. Refusing to break, though, Violet tells only selective truths. And that's not what Varish wants to hear. He dismisses Nolan and begins his favorite game, torturing Violet. Some time later, Violet is laying with many a broken bones in her cell, but she's not alone. Liam, our favorite Hufflepuff and gem of a human being, is beside her bed. And because he's perfect, he provides her with some comfort. But God fucking damn it, Varish comes in to continue the party. He admits that he's not just after torturing the answers out of Violet. No, no, no. He knows that Ryerson is going to lose his mind and abandon his post in search for Violet. And Then Varish will have all he needs to interrogate Zayden. Violet is not the prize, she is the tool. He orders Nolan to mend her so that he can, quote, start fresh, gross, and Liam agrees to stay by her side because he's perfect, and of course he does. Days go by, and Violet continues to be broken again and again, but Liam is with her every step of the way. But on the fifth day, she hears a familiar voice. It's God fucking damn it, Dane! With a question mark. Varish begins to spin a story saying how Violet and the Marked Ones want to take down the wards. Dane gobbles up this lie and reaches for Violet with two hands and reads her memories. But with a tip from Liam, Violet drags Dane into her memories of Resin and the horrors she witnessed. She shows him everything. The Venom, the Wyvern, Soleil getting killed, Liam and Day dying. All of it leading up to Erasia. But all God fucking damn it Dane takes from this memory download is you've been stealing daggers? Fuck. Well, it was worth a shot. Just as Dane is about to lay into Violet with a dagger... Whoa, a slicing sound fills the room. But no, Violet is still intact. Dane went for Varish. Plot twist. Dane cuts Violet free and helps her up. And just as he's asking Nora to step aside, please, a hand reaches around from the shadows to cut Nora's throat instead. Chapter 36, morally gray shadow daddy has come to the rescue. Zayden storms in and is horrified to see his girl looking... the the way she is. Violet says to Zayden that she didn't break it and that she's so sorry he risked everything for her. But Zayden, stealing all of our hearts, including Dane's, confesses his love to her. Fucking swoon! So glad that's the only confession we get out of this chapter. Wait, who's that who has a knife to our guy Garrick's throat? That would be Lilith Soringale. Confession number two, unemotional version. Lilith demands a moment with her daughter and reluctantly, Zayden releases Violet. Lilith confesses the reason she sent Violet into the writer's quadrant. If Violet went into the scribes and became Markham's protege, she would have inevitably learned the truth and her moral compass wouldn't have let her agree with Navarre's self-preservation. Lilith didn't want to risk Violet being killed for leaking information. Huh! 
I wonder if that's ever happened to anyone else. So she called in that favor Ryerson owed her. Wait, what? Lilith, again, unemotionally, tells Violet that she carved the 107 scars into her boyfriend's back. She then made a deal with him that she could call in a favor at any time. Her favor ended up being keeping Violet alive in her first year in the writer's quadrant. A shooketh, Violet reaches Zayden again and says a sort of heartfelt goodbye to her mother. Zayden is all, okay, we're good to go. Let's get the marked ones. Let's fly away. But Violet says, no, call a full formation and give all of the quadrant a chance to choose which side they want to be on. There's that moral compass her mom was so worried about. A little later, Dane is speaking to the whole quadrant and unveils the Venom secret. And it goes just about as well as you might think. Cadets are up in arms and they basically don't believe him. Violet has Taryn show everyone the memory of Resin. Well, at least almost everyone. Some dragons refuse to let their writers see because they've already made the choice to stay within Navarre's protection. And the writers who are convinced are ready to roll out. Teachers come out, some ready to fight, like Carr, who's wielding fire at cadets, but Bodie can counter signets. No big deal. I guess you can call that confession number three. Some teachers, however, are ready to join the revolution, like Devera. Oh yeah, confession number four. Devera put the pamphlets everywhere in battle brief earlier in this book. An hour later, 200 dragons and over 100 riders are in the sky heading to Erasia, including Taren and a sleeping Violet and Andarna. Landing in Erasia, Brennan rushes out yelling, what the fuck did you do? Why is my sister almost dead every time she shows up? Well, Brennan, you said you needed writers. End of part one. All right. And so that's going to be the whole book here, everybody. This is going to be a great last episode. (laughs) Just kidding. We got seven more episodes after this one, because even though part two is about 150 pages or so less than part one, it's still got an extra episode because it is chock full of stuff here. But before we get ahead of ourselves with part two, let's don our signet power and talk about key insights, reflections, foreshadowing, and wow, lots of theories in this particular episode here as we cover chapters 35 and 36. So kicking it off here, chapter 35's epigraph sets us up so well for the unfortunate journey that Violet and us readers are about to go on. This chapter is loaded with mind signet information. Stay tuned for today's archives. So the epigraph naturally sets it up by giving away one of the interrogator's signets, but Big Bad Varishes is still a mystery. I remember when I first read this epigraph about true sayers, I immediately wondered if this was going to be Varish's signet. I think I even have like a recording of me talking into the phone and it's like five o'clock in the morning and I am like, I have not slept. I am just like so immersed in this world. But anyway, of course, the epigraph is not referring to Varish. Revealing it in the epigraph would lose all of the buildup of his signet's big bad reveal. So right after the epigraph, we have the very first freaking paragraph of chapter 35. As Violet is opening her eyes in the brig, she notices, quote, the massive gray clears slightly, revealing stones set in a spiral pattern, a patch of them charred from smoke. A ceiling? Question mark? The line of charred from smoke really gave me pause for a moment. In a previous episode, I speculated if Taryn at some point had basically broken into an interrogation room because Naolin was in there getting tortured and probably interrogated because he had just turned Venon, and most likely him being Taryn, fucked the place up a little bit. So I do wonder if a little note like this is an Easter egg from us getting that either whether it was Taryn or totally another dragon has broken in at some point to save their rider of lack of sorts. It could be absolutely nothing. It could definitely just be that, oh, hey, some fucked up shit happens in this room, like fire torture. You know, maybe Carr's signet has been used at some point for torture, which is real messed up. But 
I just thought that was just such a little thing. I had to pull it. I had to pull it. So they're super deep underground. And there is some line from Violet or someone else saying that Taryn is not able to get down there, but Zayden would be able to. My guess is that it is indeed something that happens inside of that room. It's a little nugget of information that, yes, some real fucked up shit happens in here. This is also going to be the same cell that Jack ends up in at the end of this book. So we don't know if he's been in here before. We know that he has indeed been in the infirmary for the most part part but maybe he has spent some time in the cell in the past or other venom and it is something related to venom as well who knows but just had to speculate that something i did just realize when jack is in his cell he's sitting on the ground right he's like able to feel the ground he's not like suspended correct that's something we're gonna speculate on in in the last episode of this podcast for iron flame moving on (laughs) i just finished my second listening reread and I had to re-listen to those last few chapters several times because it's like, wow, like you, you just pick up on so much more every single time. But back to the reread right here. As Violet wakes up, we immediately learn that Lilith is not at Biscayeth right now. The female voice, who we can assume is Nora, says that following these orders of keeping Violet for interrogation will indeed be their concern if General Sorengale finds out. Aha, but General Sorengale is in Caldir, giving them a week before she'll know to raise the alarm that her daughter is missing and also that her daughter's dragon is really pissed off. I do wonder what Lilith is doing in Caldir. I'm sure it's just like normal general stuff. Like she clearly goes to visit the king very often. Obviously Violet knows Arik and Halden fairly well. It does make me wonder though, like what do they discuss in Caldir? And I'm just, I'm freaking fascinated. And Markham is still there right now as well. So it wasn't just Lilith. It was a leaders of Navarre assembly. Ooh, I wonder what they're discussing. But I do want to discuss Nora, actually, really quick. Because, quote, her face puckers into lines of what I think might be concern as the door opens beside her. Also, the epigraph opener to this chapter is about truthsayers. A lot of this makes me think we are being directed to focus a little bit more on Nora. The word concern did give me pause. It's not so much for Violet, certainly not for Violet in this situation, but it is concern for herself about the situation that she is now now in with the general's daughter. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like I would also be concerned if I had her chained up in, in a cell with blood on the walls. Not a good look. Speaking of not good looks, you know, Nolan, he at least tries here with his good cop efforts. I, I do think that he's a decent person who is in a really bad situation with even worse folk. We've covered this so much in previous episodes that I won't go too far down that rabbit hole right now. But again, I don't think he's a bad person, especially from the way that he's talking right now. He absolutely does not approve of Varish's tactics, and he truly does like Violet. He's looking for the benefit of the doubt, which is absolutely something that I would also do if I was in his position, where it's like, come on, was it a dare? Was it an unsanctioned squad challenge? Nolan wants the truth to be anything but treason, anything but what it actually is, where he morally can't help her because he is still on the side of Navarre. I'm going to go with Zayden's answer on this one, which is he'll die for his part. I don't think Nolan's a good guy after doing a deep dive of these two chapters. I think he's a pretty shit human. I'm not like, is he in a bad situation? Yes. However, he mends her multiple times, knowing that she's just going to get broken again and again and again, knowing that he's also not at full strength. Like he does not fight back against Farish. He doesn't have a spine to say, hey, Varish, like, I'm not going to do this for you. I'm going to go with Zayden and say he should die for this. (laughs) I'm not saying he shouldn't die. He is complacent. He is a very complacent person. I will agree that it does not make him a morally good person, 
but it does not make him a bad person. And I think that he, in his heart, he is wanting to be a good person, but he has just found himself in a really bad situation and he is complacent within it. When do you think Nolan's going to die? As soon as Zayden can get his hands on him when he doesn't need to mend people anymore. <laughs> I'm honestly actually surprised that he made it out of this book alive. Um, I totally, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, selective truths have been a prominent theme of part one. And it's so fitting how it all comes together now with Violet needing to tell these selective truths in order to pass Nora's lie detector test. And while Violet may not be willing to share how Lear's journal came into her possession, we are happy to tell you how we not so secretly get our books. Book of the Month celebrates reading and offers truly great prices for new release fiction, plus free shipping and a loyalty rewards program. So being in the Christmas spirit, I've started The Kingdom of Sweets by Erica Johansson, which is a dark magical take on the Nutcracker. So if you're looking for your next book, go to the link in our show notes and use code SWEATER, S-W-E-A-T-E-R, to get your first book for just $5. This code SWEATER is good for these last few days of December. Then in January, use the discount code for you, F-O-R-Y-O-U, to get your first book for $5. All right, Nicole, it is time. It is time to discuss Liam's presence. He graces us with the pages here in Iron Flame. First up, when you saw his name appear on the page, what was your reaction? Because mine was to burst into tears. And like really what undid me was when he said, quote, but you're staying strong. I'm so proud of you. Fucking damn it. I miss Liam so badly. Again, it was so late at night and it was like I was just like on such a crazy emotional journey and just so sucked into this world. I had such a big smile on my face when I saw Liam's name and his comfort just show up there on the page in such a beautiful way. It was so heartwarming and felt so right for her protector to be here in her time of need. He may not be able to protect her physically, but he saves her mentally. You know, one of my favorite quotes of the book, maybe even this whole series, captures this perfectly. He's holding my sanity together while simultaneously proving it's already left. Oh oh my gosh, I love that line so much because it just, you get it. It just perfectly captures it. Oh, I love it. And, you know, like you, Nicole, I missed him terribly. And the way that we get him here, it's just the perfect way to bring him back because a lot of readers hoped he would be alive again in Iron Flame. There was so much speculation about how he might come back, but we both did firmly believe he was unfortunately not returning, though we also did think that about Jack, but we're not going there right now. It's just so wonderful that he does return, even if it's brief and in such a meaningful way for Violet and for us readers. But with Liam's appearance, we really need to dive into the very popular second signet theory. Now, Lexi and I have been fairly quiet about Violet's second signet in our coverage of part one, and that's been very intentional, mainly because we firmly believe that Violet's second signet does appear when Andarna is awake in part two. And when I went into writing this. We always do what's the theory, argument for it, and argument against it. We really like to not theory shame ever on this podcast and present both sides of the coin. And before hopping into this argument for, I was wildly in the, there's no way this is her second segment theory. And then I started writing the argument for it. And then I just kept writing for like an hour on this. Obviously, I've cleaned it up a lot, but I still do not believe that this is her second signet, but 
damn, there's a good argument for it and we'll dive into it. So first and foremost, what the heck is this second signet theory? This very popular second signet theory is that Violet can communicate with the dead as her signet that she gets through and Darna's bond because of how she talked to Liam during the scene in the interrogation chamber. Now let's get into this argument for the second signet. When talking about being cut off, you know, magically through the serum, Violet only ever mentions being cut off through Tarn. She never once mentions blocking me from Tarn and Andarna. It's always just Tarn. Sometimes it's Tarn and Zayden, but Andarna is not mentioned. And really quickly, wow, can you think of what this would do for our story? She would be able to communicate with her father about this motherfucking Papa Sorengale research. She'd be able to talk to the first six. Naolin, if he is dead, I'm assuming he's probably Venon, but if he is dead, she'd be able to talk to Liam again. This wouldn't be the last time we see him. Lilith, because Homegirl is dead now at the end of this book. And if Zayden does die, which is a possibility, she would also be able to communicate with him. So the reason for it is what this would open up for our story. Also, signets manifest for what you need the most. In this moment, Violet desperately needed someone for comfort. And of course, Liam, her shadow, came to the rescue. Also throughout this entire book, and I would actually argue fourth wing as well, Violet needs information. That has just always been her MO. I think she even says it in the book, but don't quote me on that. Now in this book going forward, she desperately needs information from firsthand accounts for this war. Also, there are these little lines that make Liam sound not really holographic or not hallucinogenic. Lines like, God, it feels so real. There's an emphasis on the word so. This is when he puts his hand next to her. Later, it says Liam whispers like any of them can hear him. And then, of course, and this is what really undid me. And you know what, Lexi? It's about italics. (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) When Violet is talking to Liam at the beginning, not throughout the entire thing, but at the beginning, all of her dialogue is in italics with him. When she is talking to Tarn and Darna, Sigale, Zayden, aka using her mind-to-mind connection with these other people and dragons that she's connected with, it is always communicated in italics. This was the big intrinsic realization was because her communication with Zayden when she was like, I didn't realize I said that out loud, was never in italics, meaning he read her mind rather than her talking to him through the bond. Because she's talking to Liam using italics, does that mean she's using her bond or using a signet power with him? Later in the chapter, however, she does begin speaking to him out loud. No longer italics, it's full-blown quotations. Also, when Violet is still on the signet blocking elixir, she hears Zayden through the bond. He says, I don't know where I can touch you. And it's in fucking italics, friends. So we know she's using her signet or she's using some kind of magical connection. To be quite honest, this could be an editing oversight. I'm really hoping not because that is a pretty big one in my opinion and it could be very intentional if it's not. I also want to thank Marcella.moly on TikTok for pointing this out to us. Thank you very much. And lastly on the argument for we've talked a little bit about Violet's second signet leaning more towards the scribe tendencies. You know Taryn's signet power really tends to lean into that writer's mindset and especially after the download we get from Andarna about having the mind of a scribe but the heart of a writer. This signet is very scribe leaning very much fulfilling that role. 
control. So all of those are the arguments for it. Now let's talk about the arguments against it. The biggest one being she's on a fucking signet blocking elixir, blocking her from using her signet. Varish is able to see her weaknesses easily since, quote, we've cut you off from your power. If Liam is right there and she's cut off from her power, that wouldn't really make sense if this is a signet manifestation. Now, signets can be used in times of great distress. We see this later with Mira. Even though the wards aren't closed, she creates her own when they're in Caldir with Valkyrie Takaris, who's a fuckface, and we'll get to that later. However, Mira is not come off from her dragon, Tyne, or Tiny, depending on which platform you're listening on. We're going to go with Tyne since that's how Rebecca pronounces it. Tyne's power during this time. So it does make it a little bit of a different scenario versus what Violet's in right now. Also, Andarna is still sleeping. And she has been for a while. That really does raise the question, can Violet's signet manifest if Andarna is asleep? I'll say that's my biggest question when it comes to when Violet's second signet manifests. Because the answer is maybe. We don't know. Andarna has already channeled her power to Violet. Violet received her direct power of freezing time last year, though that power, of course, does not exist anymore. So Violet manifesting her signet from Andarna is theoretically all about Violet's unique chemistry and the dragon-channeled power she already Already has. So does it matter if Andarna is awake or asleep when Violet's signet manifests? Well, the thing about that is that Violet still needs to draw power for her signet from Andarna. You, we see that so much with when she needs to tap into her lightning wielding and she draws power from Terran. So if she needed to do the same thing with drawing power for her signet from Andarna, I would imagine it would wake her up. Remember, Violet is so careful not to disturb Andarna, like when she's on the verge of burnout during her wielding punishment. So since Andarna would likely wake up if Violet used the signet from her, that's why Andarna's sleeping might mean that Violet hasn't manifested her second signet yet. In fact, when Violet is reconnected with Taryn and their bond after this interrogation, after she takes the antidote that her mother gave her, he does say, yes, Andarna does still sleep. So we know that Andarna did not wake up during this point. And last thing I'll say on the argument against it is that Rebecca has mentioned that she put Liam in the story for many reasons but mainly because she selfishly wanted to see him again. Does not really give me long time second signet plot planning vibe right there. So those are the arguments for and against. Now let's talk about our thoughts on this. Personally, I would love, love this to be her second signet, but I do not think it is because of the weight of the argument against it. If I'm wrong, I will be over freaking joyed, mainly because we get Papa Sorengale and his motherfucking research, and I just think it would be really cool for the story. Which, quick side note, it's not that Violet doesn't know about the research. It's not some big question mark for her. She just doesn't care which is to go after the research <laughs> fucking wild but here's the deal we now know that she's going to be in Bezgaeth at the beginning of book three I would be shocked if we don't get it in book three but ah, we said talk- that about book two <laughs> <laughs> now to be able to talk to him however like to yes. learn how he died all that kind of I feel like that would be really special because the woman who knew how he died is dead now so figuring that like I mean obviously I'm sure there's other people I'm sure Markham maybe he'll do like an evil villain monologue and tell us how he died I don't know but the other reason I am leaning no unfortunately again I want this to be true but I really don't think it is it is because Andarna is sleeping however she's sleeping way longer than usual so could this be because she already started channeling into Violet I'm talking about like after the gift and everything like that's gone away to that I'm talking about like signet channeling into Violet and 
because she gave so much to Violet when she was so young, she's sleeping extra long. Now, this is in addition to, you know, all the other reasons Taryn mentions at the top of part two, which we'll get into next episode. But could this be a possibility as to why she's also sleeping longer? Maybe, but unlikely. I hadn't considered that. I love that idea. I could see this being an explanation for both Violet manifesting her signet while Andarna sleeps and Andarna's extra long dreamless sleep. Of course, Taryn does provide us with a little bit of context about her extra long dreamless sleep. However, maybe she certainly is already channeling for her signet power and that is why it's stretching out to be extra, extra long. So I hadn't thought about that. That's a great, that's a, that would be a great plot hole filler there. (laughs) You know, Nicole, you and I were really aligned on the second signet theory. Like you, Nicole, I wouldn't be mad at all if we're proven wrong here and Violet can communicate with the dead or, I love this theory too, can call upon Malak, the god of death, which this is another variation of the second signet theory. There's honestly quite a few here that stem from her seeing Liam here. Um, Another good one surrounding this is that Violet can connect to souls and that's some foreshadowing for how she'll be able to save Zayden. You know, you and I could talk all day long about her second signet theories and in fact we probably do need to do a bonus episode at some point just on Violet's second signet possibilities because we could just again keep going all day here. Like you I feel like the argument against it is just too strong. Sure there are possible workarounds with her signet uniquely working while she is under the serum but I just I think that she is completely blocked out and she cannot use her powers or bond which on that note, I don't have an explanation for how Zayden can talk to her through their bond in that one line you pointed out. That was a huge question mark for me. He does say after his second signet reveal that it's easier for her thoughts to slip into his and we learn from the throne scene that his thoughts can slip into hers, which that in and of itself is a whole other second signet clue for Violet. But again, that is a topic for a different day. Maybe that that one little line with the italics there once when he does come to the rescue, maybe it's connected to that. Anyway, this part indeed does stump me. I also do think that Violet's second signet clues they're going to be super subtle whatever they may be or Rebecca wouldn't have told us outright that her second signet manifested she trusts that it's well hidden and you we have to go on an epic treasure hunt to even get an inkling of what it could possibly be Liam appearing on the page like this I believe we might have to take it for what it appears to be face value. There's certainly, I don't like saying face value because there's a lot of beautiful meanings behind this, but it doesn't have that bigger theory meaning behind it like some people are speculating. Because if this was her second signet, I think that would be too obvious. That's the right word to use, obvious. However, of course, the serum could be what's supposed to throw us off this scent. So that's, again, the main reason why we don't think it could possibly be her second signet manifesting, but it could also be throwing us off, right? I don't know. I just, I don't think that the second signet hints are going to be so in our face like it would, like it kind of feels like it is right here. And Liam's purpose here is simply to be Violet's companion through the hell that she is enduring. Here's one thing I will say in regards to the serum. We don't know what the ingredients are to make up the serum. We don't know if it's something that is pulled from each of the dragon dens, but does not include anything from den number seven. So we don't know if it is 
like it if it only works on the core six dragon dens and them obviously thinking Andarna is a part of one of those they don't know which one obviously yet because they haven't seen her but that could also be a thing where she's just an anomaly for the serum and she can still be used so in the midst of all this torture we get an Emogen nugget haha I have to go on my Emogen high horse here that of course I am going to pull out so Vera states that Emogen wouldn't be willing to wipe her squad's memories since that's what they would need to do if they bring her squad down and they learn what's happened. What's happened meaning the royal vault break-in and slash or Violet being held prisoner. Remember, Violet's absence is noted among her squad and her professors here. This is, I can't remember exactly which day this is, but she's gone for five days. She's supposed to be in class. She's supposed to be showing up to formation. She is not around and everyone's starting to get a little bit concerned. So my question here back to Emogen is what circumstances does Emogen wipe people's memories? She has a classified signet. So how often is she put to work? Who does she practice her signet on? We previously speculated how Dane has to hone his signet with practice. Well, so would Emogen, right? Her training must be different than Dane's because she's a marked one. They're not looking to control her. They already know that they can't. So it's more like keeping a watchful eye on her, which again brings me back to my question. How is she training for her memory wiping signet? And does Varish have anything to do with it? I can't imagine he is Emogen's mentor since he's probably in with Atos on these assassination attempts. And I don't see her ever standing to be able to learn from him. But it really does beg the question about who she is practicing on, what her power are being used for already and who is teaching her those are really damn good questions I have no idea. Speaking of Varish, though, we finally learn his signet. It is time to talk about Varish's signet. I was, again, I was so invested in this stretch of chapters. I posted a video on my whole chapter 35 play-by-play reactions, and I can't remember if I included the part about me freaking out over Varish's signet. It was a really long, so I had to, like, remove some of the edited clips. But anyway, it was just like, ah! And, oh, his signet, it is so satisfying in, like, the evilest way. He doesn't see people. He sees their weaknesses. So no wonder he's so slimy and good at interrogation. We learn from him that Violet's weaknesses are the people she loves, which is, of course, no surprise given how well we know her character. I actually do wonder if that is going to be a hint about her second signet. But again, we already wrapped up second signet conversation, so we're going to keep moving forward here. Now, Varish, he can't use his signet against good shields, which he compliments Violet actually on her shield. All that practice with Zayden paid off. A few episodes ago, we contemplated how Zayden heard Varish's intentions when if you have your shields in place, you cannot use your mind signet. Here, Varish says, quote, I was lucky enough to glimpse the most powerful rider of your generation fumble his shields like a novice once. It was for less than a second, but that was all I needed to see what it would take to shatter him. So we get this download from Varish and basically what we learned was that since Varish's shields were down trying to read Zayden, Zayden also noticed that Varish's shields were down so he took his own shields down to read his intentions. This was when the in the moment where he says to Violet his intentions were pretty fucking clear but in that moment it would require both of them to put their shields down giving each of them a huge advantage and also a huge disadvantage in the moment and This is delicious. I can't wait to see how this works more moving forward. This is really cool. Now, Varish tormenting Violet. There is another really popular theory. I don't even know if it's so much of a theory. It's more of a really popular question. And that is, did Varish answer 
Liam a few times in this scene. Vera says, quote, you're pinning your hopes that he'll break the rules for you, he meaning Zayden, that he'll save you since your own mother hasn't lifted a finger for you. Fucking woof, dude. Wow. To which Liam says he won't wait until Saturday. Again, he meaning Zayden. And Vera says, that's what I'm counting on. Now, on first reread, you're like, wait, what the... Did he just answer Liam's he won't wait till Saturday? That's what I'm counting on. Personally, I do not think that this is him answering Liam because that would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Here's the reasons. I do think it's masterful dialogue placement from Rebecca Yaros. It's made for us to be like questioning to parse through she is so good at making us go absolutely wild and crazy as a fandom trying to figure this shit out but earlier in the stretch Varish was described as being less than a foot away from Liam and he made no notice to the fact that oh there's someone else in Violet's cell you'd think he'd be like get the fuck out of here dude so because of that I really do not think he can see or hear Liam Also, Violet has only been speaking to Liam in italics at this point. So there's no way that he would have known, he meaning Barish, would have known that she's been communicating with someone else. Yes, absolutely. You know, the way that the dialogue is written, it it gave both you and I pause because it's like, whoa, did Barish, yeah, did he just hear Liam? But I think that he's just responding to himself, that he's counting on Zayden, saving Violet since her mother hasn't. Varish is already carrying on a full conversation by himself here with Violet. So it just kind of seems natural that he's just continuing this conversation. He is in his villain monologue era right now, folks. I just need to say this, and that is, fuck you, Varish. He admits that he's setting a trap for Zayden to break Codex, and that is how he finally is going to get his prize and interrogate the person he's been wanting to interrogate all along. But he says to Violet that if she talks, Varish won't hurt Zayden. Now, obviously, first off, fucking liar. There's no way that that's true. He's going to kill her in some form or fashion. He's going to kill them both and enjoy doing it because he's a sicko. But second, This is the delicious villain shit that I love. Like, this is a brilliant manipulation strategy from him. Violet doesn't fear pain. She's demonstrated that over and over throughout both of these books. But him changing his tactics by letting her know that he just wants Zayden, it's immediately going to send her spiraling and just poor thing. I do not envy Violet in the slightest or Zayden in any of these moments for obvious reasons. But the fact that he plays these mind games, it's just, again, it's just that delicious villain shit. Fuck you, Varish, but you're good at your job. You're good at your job, unfortunately. (laughs) I love... We have to take like a moment into the spotlight with a, you know, violin sappy in the background for this beautiful parallel line. If you remember back in Fourth Wing, when Liam was dying, Violet is thanking him for being her shadow. And he says, it's been my honor. Now it's in this exact cadence where it's two words, period, two words, period. It's been, period, my honor, period. Here in the interrogation chamber, Violet says to him, don't leave me, which just break my heart. But in that same cadence, he answers, I won't, period, I swear, period. And it just like, (laughs) my fucking heart, it hurts, it hurts so badly. I miss Liam so much. I just loved seeing him on these pages so much in the way that he is there for Violet. It is just like heartbreaking and heartwarming at the exact same time. I really miss like a Liam style character. You know, like I've compared him to like Arik ever so slightly. I don't think Arik has nearly as much of an emotional tie as we have to him yet. There's still time. 
but man and I mean Sloan I thought was gonna be the new Liam but man oh man was she not that in the slightest speaking of people who are not that in the slightest let's talk about the Jack fucking Barlow line Jack fucking Barlow (laughs) Violet isn't breaking and Nora suggests bringing in Jack fucking Barlow quote gods know he's been waiting for retribution this is highly ominous because on the first read we don't as far as we know on the first read jack has been all sunshine rainbow unicorns and butterflies like he saved her life and he's just been like everyone's like oh he's had the second chance of life and he's so kind so this right here is showing that this has all been an act or at least what i'm at least thinking is that he's being controlled to act in a certain way aka very kind and whatnot and behind closed doors when he's getting mending from nolan when he's maybe in the brig he is definitely not that kind and fuzzy person. He's a little bit more wild. Because then Varish comes in with, quote, I'm sure, <laughs> this is not a good look, I'm sure he'd be happy to find new and inventive ways to motivate her. What the fuck does that mean? Like, like, I what, don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, what can a Venom do? Because I know on the mat last year, he's holding her and he starts channeling from the source. Whether that's the first time or not, we don't know as a reader. And Rebecca Yaros has even said that she knows when he turned Venom. She has not said it yet, out loud, at least to a fandom to confirm it in any way. So it could be literally him channeling while holding her and that like almost electric shock torture that we contemplated that episode I don't know but they eventually say no because they can't trust him not to kill her cannot trust him for anything really yikes this was such a record scratch moment there are so many record scratch moments in these overheard conversations about Jack that just are full of foreshadowing I think both for this book and for book three that we will find out more later if these comments about Jack say anything it's confirmation that Varish has to know what Jack is which we pretty much already knew from what we've overheard between him and Nolan but this is like absolute confirmation at least in my mind but does this mean that Nolan is unaware of Jack's true intentions since he trusted Jack to inform him about Violet back when she got caught or at least that's what he says it happened I do think that is because Jack was around and Nolan I don't think that he's like this master liar sort of guy like he yeah no I think that is actually what happened which if Varish is fully aware of Jack's true intentions especially with Violet that could be another supporting point of Varish being Venon because only he knows Jack's true intentions with Violet which I thought we could assume are not to kill Violet since Jack saved her life and he needs her to be alive for the big bad Venon except Varish does think he's too big of a risk because he may kill her so hmm this is definitely a big question Mark. I am convinced that Varish is Venon, but we will get into that in a moment. <laughs> all right, now as you're listening, let's all take a big collective deep breath and let it out. Ha! Because the time has come. Dane enters our chapter. I don't know if I'm ready to feel as confused as I'm about to feel, but you know what? We don't have another <laughs> option because here we are. I'm going to delay it a little longer though. How? <laughs> I cannot believe that it took them five days of torturing Violet, mending her, and then torturing her again to bring him in. Why did they not do this earlier on if he can just get it all out on at the beginning? I know that they're trying to like break her and whatnot, but clearly she's not. It's been five fucking days. I wonder if they thought that Zayden would come a little bit faster. Like that's Ooh. my thought there is that their that goal number one was to torture her and get Zayden to come try to rescue her and then get him because it's not necessarily Violet's memories and Violet's secrets that they really want. They want Zayden's and they didn't want to bring Dane into 
into this fold and share this, you know, what's happening here with him, especially because he's a ringleader. They have a history. It's super muddled between them. So I think that this was a little bit of a last resort. They had all the reasons to make it so that he would turn on her. Like they had them like bulleted out, basically. I mean, literally the first thing they say to Dane when he comes down before they even reveal like, oh, it's Violet. It is that every citizen of Navarre's safety is at stake without the information that they're asking Dane to retrieve. Again, speaking to his rule following nature, we've talked endlessly about this, but also to his ego and his self-importance. I gotta hate Dane a little bit more, a little bit more. I gotta ring it true as much as possible before we get all confused up in here. I do think the reason that they delayed also could be that Varish was reading Lyra's journal. He admits to Violet that he's been, oh, fascinating stuff. And I guess also he can read Moranian? Yeah, that... That was shocking to me as well. I think I have that written out somewhere here later on in the episode. But yes, very, very few people can read Moranian. Like only Jacinia. And What if that's a Venom superpower, huh? What if it's a Venom thing? I will stand by that. That's my catch-all box for this episode. It's, it's a Venom thing. And he but learned so- it in the aisles. <laughs> With Papa Sorengale's research. Which real quick on that note about the aisles, somebody did point out that we do later on see that yep. there is a map and there are 18 aisles that surround the continent. So our whole questions about where the aisles are, they're everywhere, folks. They're everywhere. <laughs> I already because I'm working on outline for episode seven right now. And I already like I have like a little paragraph of just like, well, whoops, <laughs> like here it is. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. <laughs> so back to the Varish reading Lyra's journal. I wonder if the reason it took Dane so long to get down here was that they wanted to read the journal, parse through it first, and then bring him down. Because they say that they've already brought the journal back to the archives. It's already tucked away again by the time Dane comes down so that he can't read it. So that, I mean, I don't know if he can read Moranian. I don't think he can. He can't. Yeah, you know, he can't read Which, Moranian anyway. But. Again, he has a gift for languages. So how does Varish know Moranian, but someone who has a gift for languages doesn't? The last thing here, I didn't realize we get so hung up on Lyra's journal, is that Varish saying that it went back to the archives. We know after the Athbane meetup that Lilith ends up having Lyra's journal because she gives it to Violet. Did she intercept somebody she must have intercepted somebody when they were going to take it back to the archives or she was able to retrieve it I don't feel like she'd be able to have that power as powerful as she is because it is the royal vault right so she must have stopped someone from taking it back to the archives intercepted them and taken it for herself so whoever that poor person was having to take it back to the archives I don't think they're in very good shape right now did not think about see my naivete was like oh she like brought the king like arm in arm skippy because the king's kind of an idiot in my mind in my head canon so like she brought the and she's like can you just get that for me you know your thing makes a lot more sense for Lilith. now <laughs> I, I do think that the reason it take it took dane so long to get down here for many reasons yes definitely the zayden reason but also because they wanted a chance to read said journal and wrap a story in a bow so that they could feed it to Dane and have him instantly be on their side no problem which he is at the beginning here we have to emphasize that is that he is anti-violet oh okay challenge that in a second and not challenge it I'm gonna I'm gonna question that in a second I think it's a better way to put it so while I'm talking about how Varish is you know mind fucking Dane right now this fuck god fucking damn it Varish says quote Ryerson pulled her into something she couldn't possibly understand you know that you saw it happen last year this like mm, 
this makes my blood boil because it's talking about Violet as if she's this little victim in all of this and she's the damsel in distress that he needs to save, aka his whole fucking motive of getting her out of the writer's quadrant and into the scribes last year. God damn it, Varish is a good villain. It's so scary. The way that these lies and this manipulation just roll off of his tongue and the way that Dane, he's kind of like, wait, what? Is this really true? And then it's like, oh, and then he just like leans right into it until obviously what happens in here in a few moments. Varish is just playing him like a fiddle and you have to wonder how many other people he has done this to. I wonder if he's even done it to Atos. Daddy Atos. I'm still thinking Daddy Atos is controlling Varish because he's like the puppeteer master of all the undercover venom. I just don't think he's that smart. I don't think he is either, but you don't have to be smart. I mean, Jack fucking Barlow is alive. How smart do you have to be? I still never will get over that. (laughs) I have to bring it up once an episode. It makes me so happy. Violet begging Dane for help. This broke my heart. It really shows how far gone Violet is. This is five days of being tortured, so it makes a lot of sense. She threatens to kill him multiple times in this book and she's avoided him at all costs she's hated him not in the shadows like outright information even on the mat everywhere and that's honestly just putting it nicely the man he's responsible for killing also is standing in the corner as a hallucination this is a literal reminder for everything dane has cost her and yet she still begs him for help multiple times this is when i just started not even just crying but just like like openly weeping for Violet in the situation she's in. That was until he reaches for her again with two hands. (laughs) And she says, you killed Liam. I love that like 180 pivot she does. It's just so, man. Speaking of 180 pivots though, this is my question. And that is, when does Dane start acting in this scene was it from the beginning when he sees that Violet's the person in the chair and he like goes along with Varish or do you think it's after he sees her memories because Dane is saying to her this is again before he sees her memories he says I don't know shit about you anymore this is as Violet is telling him that Peromish citizens are dying and they're not doing anything to help that's a pretty like fuck you moment that Dane just threw in her face when did he start acting was it from the beginning was it somewhere in the middle or do you think it was after seeing her memories I I definitely think it was after seeing her memories because of how climactic that moment was you know Dane is working off the information he's always been given which includes there being a civil war in poor Emil remember back with all the propaganda talk that Markham was saying is that Poor millions are burning each other's cities and then they're trying to blame Navarre, right? And that they're trying to bring Navarre into this. But don't you dare fall for that, Navarre, right? So I think that as far as Dane knows, Violet is wanting to get involved in Poor Meal's affairs that theoretically have nothing to do with Navarre. Dane has no idea that Poor Meal is being attacked by dark wielders and their wyvern and that Navarre is covering this all up and refusing to even acknowledge their enemy's existence. Not just help them, but even acknowledge their enemy's existence. And once Violet does share that memory with him in that big moment, the truth is revealed and he realizes what's actually happening to Poor Meal. I think that a lot of puzzle pieces all came together there in that final moment. And so I don't think that he's acting here at all. I think that he really is being manipulated by Varish, but it's 
not to his core, so to speak, because if it was to his core, then there would be no turning back. This is just him listening to what the people tell him because that's who Dane is. I 100% agree with you. On first pass through for the podcast, I was like, maybe he's acting earlier. And then I was like, I don't think Dane's that intelligent. (laughs) I don't think he is. Sorry, Dane. But Dane Signet, we get a confirmation. And Lexi, I want you to take it away because this was all you and I love this. So during our fourth wing episodes, we speculated a lot about how Dane's Signet works. And so our conclusion was that it's essentially like a Google search. It kind of became a running joke that Dane Signet, you just got to plug it into Google there and then the keyword pops up with the memory that he's looking for. And you all, it's that's actually what it is. I'm so proud of us. We, we said that back in fourth wing and that's actually how it is. Dane's ability to retrieve memories is literally him focusing on a word like in this case it would be words and then boom it pops up there's the google search I'm so proud of us (laughs) I'm not gonna lie I did not think we were gonna be right on that one and here we are so speaking of Dane's signet and how it works did Dane purposefully search Violet's memories more than once last year I this is gonna be the fucking conversation of many questions that we're going to have a lot on this podcast and especially going into book three he says he meaning Dane says quote I only searched your memory to prove my father wrong Violet and all you did was prove him right so if you remember back at reunification day there was that party and Dane comes over to Violet to cup her face seconds after talking to god fucking damn it Dane's dad Lilith and King Towery and Malgren so based off of this quote we can assume that Dane was given orders from his father maybe from the king himself to go like hey you know go use your google search for a second and use the word athbean or whatever it was so this also means that he does it more than once because this moment i only searched your memory to prove my father wrong so searched your memory that is not an accidental search that is a very purposeful action but later in the book he says i, I did it on accident the first time so how many times were there when was the accidental time I very much think it was the moment where he saw a flash of Violet under the tree with Zayden or watching the marked ones meeting or something like that and or honestly it could just be her and Zayden like out and about when she flung daggers at his face and like brushed his ears into the tree trunk this is right after the marked ones meeting in fourth wing i do think that he saw a flash of a memory from that night despite the fact that dane is talking to violet at sparring the next day about Orin, he is glaring daggers at zayden and it's noted i think for a very specific reason not just because he's like glaring at zayden like he always does i think he like has a very specific reason to glare at zayden because he's learned this information we had this debate during this episode in fourth wing and i am going to stick to my reasoning which is i just don't think that dane would be able to learn that information about the marked ones meeting and not rat him out like that just seems so like he's staring daggers at zayden he's always staring daggers at zayden and now with the knowledge about zayden being an intensic zayden would have known if dane knew about his meetup i'm going to guess that this first accidental time was before threshing you know dane says that the first time it was an accident because he's so used to touching violet and so it could have been as early and this is what i think as the day after conscription day that's the very first face cup that i believe that we get and i believe that is when it was it was as early as 
as the day after conscription day. Ooh, so you mean like in the rotunda day after conscription day? Yes, I went back through our fourth wing outlines to like actually like read through all of the God fucking damn it Dane sections, which by the way, Dragon Riders, you have our outlines. You could also do this and share your thoughts about when you think that the first accidental face cupping was. So as I was reading back on these, I was like kind of looking through them like around threshing and whatnot because I, I thought maybe it was like at threshing because remember in Zayden's POV for chapter 16 that we got with the special edition, he is thinking, oh my gosh, like Dane's probably reading her memories right now, which I do think that he was. Now, was that the first time? I don't think so because Dane says he was just so used to touching Violet just from their friendship for 15 years. So that's why I think that first time happened way earlier. He's been touching her in a platonic way, but still touching her since the moment she gets off the parapet. True. But then he continues cupping her face throughout the entire fucking book. So does he do it on purpose each of those times or just some of the times? We will have this debate until we are blue in the face, until we get confirmation finally. It'll be on like Dane's deathbed. I fucking swear. (laughs) You know, I never thought I would say this, but I kind of want a Dane POV. Actually, I think I do too. I really do. I really. But here's the deal. I want it not for like, oh, Dane. I want it to be like white knuckling and like, God damn it, Dane. I want it for like the same reasons I love a villain backstory. I want it for the reasons that it's like, I want the pieces put together, but not so I like him more. You know what I mean? I do, but I was actually going in the opposite direction of it being a fairly tragic story. And he, again, like he just think anyway, well, we have- We'll so- debate that in a second. And I, I do agree with you on the fact that he is a very tragic character, but we'll get to that in a second. I love how Dane taking Violet's memory played out here. This was another big thing fourth wing fans and especially us speculated heading into Iron Flame. It was both against Violet's will and she used her mind against him by taking what little control of the situation she has. The sequence of memories and these descriptions of Violet dragging Dane with her, then pushing him out at the right moment. It's just like, ah, it's just such a climactic moment that Dane's seen what happened at Resin. And again, like, I love the magical element to it. This story has so much magic in it. I talked about that during the last episode, and this is another great shining example. And then the way that Violet protects the secret of Arisha just with her mind. You know, she doesn't need her shield. She just needs her mind. I love how she just pushes him out and how all of this occurs. It's a scene that we've all been anticipating and it's got such a unique twist to it. And I love that in in that scene, she's like screaming, like guttural screaming. Like I can just see it so vividly. I cannot wait to see this play out in TV show. Like, oh my God, uh, that is just such a beautifully written vivid scene. I absolutely agree. And you know, when I was reading this for the first time, I was like holding my breath because Dane's reaction, it's the moment of truth. And he seemingly just fails, spectacularly seems to fail. And again, I'm sorry, I keep bringing this up. But in my chapter 35 reactions video, I just started cussing at him. (laughs) And that it's like, you had your chance, Dane, you had your chance. And then you had to go and be all Dane on us. And jokes on me. Again. You know what, Lex? Here's what we're going to do. Instead of doing bloopers at the end of this episode, I'm going to take that reaction video and that's going to be the very end. So listen to the end of the episode, friends, because that's going to be the the cap of this episode is Lexi's reaction. 
reaction video, chapter 35, because it is priceless. It is pretty good. So I do wonder what God fucking damn it, Dane and God fucking damn it, Varish thought when Violet looks away from Dane. This is after he's like, you've been stealing weapons. And she's like, God damn it, it didn't work. She looks away from Dane, looks into Liam's eyes and says out loud to the wall, apparently from Farish and Dane's perspective. I'm sorry I failed you. This would be very like, is she okay? Is she a, is she there in the head? But Liam replies, you never failed me, dot, dot, dot. We pulled you into our war. If anyone is sorry, it's me. God, I miss Liam. And then again, it appears as if Farish is responding to him, Liam, when he says, as you should be, like, as you should be sorry. I do think he is answering Violet when she says, I'm sorry, I failed you. He says, as you should be. But what were they thinking when Violet just like looks off to the side, like locks eyes with someone? You can tell when someone's just glazed over. She like locks eyes with Liam and says out loud to, again, the wall, I'm sorry, I failed you. If I was Dana, I'd be like, what the fuck did you do to her? <laughs> like, is she okay? I think that's the whole thing is that she is just, she's gone. Like, he is a hallucination. She is gone. That crushes me. I need to make it funny or else I'm going to just weep into this microphone for the next hour. But hold on. I do need to weep for a second, actually. But it's a romantic weeping. This line in Violet's inner monologue, quote, I love him. I should have told him every day, been honest about my feelings, even through the fights and the doubt woof this just cleaves my heart open this is a unfortunate and slightly terrifying reminder to all of us to tell our loved ones whether it's for the first time or the second time or for the one million trillionth time it's to never miss an opportunity to share that we love them and yes you bet the fact that I was working on this outline and Brett was standing in front of me in the kitchen and I looked up at him and I said I love you and he drops everything and he locks eyes with me he goes I love you too and then just kept going with what he was doing and I was like that was cute. That was real cute. I don't know how you're able to work on your outlines like around other people. I have like a very strict process of needing to work on my outlines. I've, I've tried to do it in the living room or anything and it takes me like 10 times as long. It's like, nope, I need to go to my office. I need my multiple monitors. I need to just zone in. See, my office is for editing because I need my multiple monitors for editing, but I cannot edit an outline in the same place. So I That's edit. So funny. <laughs> I outline at the kitchen counter, but Brett knows that whenever I have my headphones in at the kitchen counter, do not talk to me. Like unless you have to do not talk to me so he kind of just like tiptoes around me he's he's a real good he's a Liam you're married to a Liam I really am married to a Liam and you know what that makes me feel pretty damn good thank you you married a Zayden though you married I did (laughs) like he's he's half Zayden he's half Riddick and somehow it works Oh, Dane's redemption arc. Speaking of none of those men we just mentioned. <laughs> well, Dane's rule following is also very much like your husband. So. Don't you. I'm not, it's true. Not it's true. <laughs> I was going to argue, but I can't, you can't find any <laughs> argument for that. That's very accurate. You know what? Just brushing over that. He's like Dane redemption arc. The second, though, I saw this line, quote, you should have trusted me, Violet. This is when he has the dagger to her throat. This is after he's seen her memories. I was like, oh, shit. He's not talking about what Varish thinks. He's talking about, like, she should have trusted him earlier and trusted him to be on her side. And that was the moment where I was like, oh, my God. It's happening. It's happening now. This scene, it's just masterful. It's masterfully written. And you know what? 
fuck you, Dane. No, she shouldn't have trusted you. Sorry about it. You stole her memories and told your dad about it. So fuck off. <laughs> like, I don't agree with that. I have to play, I'll call it Dane's advocate here. Oh, it begins. It, it begins. begins. Before Akatar, it begins. He has been manipulated by his dad. So he does not think that he is doing a bad thing. He thinks that he is doing something for the good of Navarre, for the good of leadership. Dane thinks that he's doing the right thing because it is technically the right thing from certain people's perspective here. And so this really is, I'm not going to say that Navarre is strictly evil, strictly bad. They have their own agenda that is certainly a very self-preservation agenda and they do some really not good things in order to keep that self-preservation and to keep that secret. And he doesn't even realize that there's a secret to be kept here. So he really is a puppet. And we've had a lot of people who self-identify as Dane apologists who have really been outspoken about, hey, like he is a tragic character and he doesn't deserve some of the hate that we've been giving him. And I will counter that with he definitely does have an ego. He definitely does want to be the person who always thinks that he's doing the right thing. And that is definitely a character trait of his. But is that a bad character trait? No. Well, we also have to remember that we are in Violet's mind. Yes. Now, because of that, we are, as readers, forced to look at certain characters like Dane through the perspective of Violet. It makes all the sense in the world that we have been very adamant about God fucking damn it Dane up until this point. Now, he does do a major pivot. I do not blame him necessarily for the brainwashing that he's been under. What he's done with said brainwashing against his best friend has been unfortunate <laughs> to say the least and the fact that he now does this pivot and does lean into being that I'm not going to say friend by any means to her but definitely more of in her corner going forward and he does decide to side with the rebellion I think is a really good Dane move and it really shows that he's finally taking the reins of his own goddamn life for what we can assume the first time yes. so if anything I do applaud Dane for that because that's fucking scary everything he's ever known every mentor he's had his own father has been lying to him and manipulating him to believe something in a very I would say different way than Violet has been lied to and manipulated. Absolutely. Um, so I do think that for those reasons, yes, Dane is a very tragic character. Maybe one of the most tragic in this series we're embarking on. And I am excited to see where he goes further. But all of that said, we've also been in Violet's head. So it makes sense that we have been very angry with Dane. And now we're starting to pivot. Because speaking of pivot, we get this fucking glorious moment dane is about to slice into violet woof and then he turns onto varish this moment it just like it sends chills up and down my spine it was so good it was so well done him coming to her side cutting her free from the chair and saying i don't know if we can fight our way out of here he's preparing to die we we cannot stress this enough he is preparing to die for his friend based off of what he just saw for her memories literally pivoting entirely it's not even a 180 this is a burrow yourself into the ground on the other side of the planet 180 he is going against everything he's ever known off of a few memories that he saw from his best friend of 15 years. Dane draws his sword on Nora and says, let us pass and you'll live. Again, just showing that he still does have a little bit of that Hufflepuff in him. But a voice says, I make no such promises. And Zayden Ryerson comes out of the shadows. This is just such a good moment. And slits Nora's throat. These two pages were utter perfection. But then there's this very subtle 
I'm going to also call it a very meta line we get from Rebecca Yaros. Quote, stabbing Varish earns Dane a second chance, right? It's almost as if that was written to us raiders of like, I know you guys have hated him, but you need to like him now. <laughs> like you need to give him a second chance. That is exactly what I thought too, where again, you're saying that we've been seeing all of this from Violet's perspective. And now her whole opinion of Dane is suddenly pivoting as well. And it's like, wait. She has a big question mark next to him, too. And we've all got big question marks next to Dane. And it's like, yeah, I guess he does deserve a chance to live. Even Okay, yep, we're all going with this. All right, let's keep going. While we get hints throughout part one that Dane isn't the manipulative asshole we thought he was in Fourth Wing, it all comes together in this big turning point. And understandably, Dane's 180 pivot feels jarring for the reader. It's quite the emotional roller coaster we all experienced. And yes, like Nicole said, it does feel like perfection but that doesn't make it not jarring and make us all feel like what the heck is going on here when you look at the pacing of this stretch of chapters where everything is happening so fast and characters get caught up in quick decisions Dane's journey it makes sense he is so caught up in all of the hecticness that is going on and this really is the only way to fit his redemption arc at least the the turning point in his redemption arc into the story remember this isn't happening fast just for us as readers it's happening super duper fast for them as well including for Dane himself I'll say it again he's not a bad guy despite having done bad things like certainly steal Violet's memory which led to Liam's death he thought he was doing good and being an honorable Navarre citizen because he had been manipulated by his dad and leadership, including Varish, for years. When the horror of the truth was right in front of him, he realized he had been used as a pawn. And Dane, he didn't suddenly go against Varish for the revolution. He changed sides real fast because he knew that Violet was telling the truth and leadership has been lying and covering this up. We know one thing for sure about Dane. He follows the truth and the right thing to do. And in this instance, he knew that what Violet was showing him from her memories was indeed the truth and the thing that he needed to follow here. That does not suddenly mean he is all buddy-buddy with the revolution. To that point, we have to ask, has Dane fully converted? I don't think so. I think that he was at a fork in the road and he needed to pick a direction right now. And Zayden was standing with a sword just ready to kill him if he was to turn down one direction. So obviously he's like, eh, I think I'll choose the other one. And he chooses the other direction. Now embarking on a journey where his whole world is turned upside down. You know, I mentioned earlier that I'd love a Dane POV. I think I'd love a Dane POV in those first few weeks of him and Erasia because like, imagine the inner conflict that must be. Oh my God. (laughs) Not to mention, I want to know, he maybe not friends, but he knew Brennan very well. That's right. He never got a moment of Dane being like, the fuck, Brennan's alive? Like, we never got that. And I'm kind of bummed we didn't. So in that Dane POV, I want the, holy shit, that's Brennan Sorengale. Like, Brennan comes in to question him because he certainly was questioned and all of that. And it's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing here? <laughs> We've talked so much about Dane here in this episode, understandably. And we'll, of course, keep talking about Dane in part two as we continue analyzing his character, his redemption arc. And yes, we will even question if he is indeed as innocent as we all think, which I truly do believe that he is innocent here. We've speculated before. Maybe he has ulterior motives. What the heck is up with Kath's breath smelling? There's so much to process after everything that we all went through with Fourth Wing that 
there's a lot of muddied waters here that we will continue to parse through as we all experience this journey together. I'm very much in the same camp. As much shit as we give Dane on this podcast, we literally have merch <laughs> devoted to giving D- Dane shit on this podcast. He is a very tragic character and I'm really excited to continue exploring him more in part two because I do think it's going to give us all closure, may not, maybe not be the right word, but more concrete footing on how we're feeling about Dane. Like Lexi said, we are going to continue questioning both sides of the coin for Dane. Is he truthing? Is he lying? We don't know. But I really do think his redemption arc is true. Agreed with you. And we will continue to see him grow on us throughout the series. However, I do not think he's making out of this series alive. I do think he's going to die at some point. Maybe book three? Possibly? I think that's a little early. I'm gonna if I had to so throw was out a Lilith. guess. <laughs> no, I guess that Lilith was dying. Yeah, I thought that Lilith was dying in book two. <laughs> Speaking of people dying though, let's talk about Varish. This is a great moment for us to see how far our girl has come in just a year. Remember, this time last year, she has not even killed Jack fucking Barlow yet. I mean, at least thinking that she offed him but she didn't whatever these other deaths at her hand though have been out of self-defense it's been out of her control it's always because someone or a venom or you know it's normally a venom because it's either people assassinating her or venom trying to kill her so this one is really her first choice of a kill outright choice this is her quite literally taking revenge yes he has been torturing her for five years days. We cannot emphasize that enough. But he's already dying. This is not out of self-defense like those other moments. Exactly. This is her choosing to murder and how fucking fitting that her first choice of a murder is Varish. But also the fact that Zayden is the one who assists her in killing him. I just, oh, I love this so much. She's trembling too much, again, from being tortured for five days. So much so that he has to put his hands over hers, helping her guide it in. Fucking beautiful. That's what she said. (laughs) All right, friends. It is time. We've speculated about this in, I believe, every episode so far. But now that we know that Varish is dead... We have to close our chapter on Varish and ask our final question. Is Varish a venom? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with us saying goodbye to this villain, let's lay it all out and discuss. So let's start with the argument for him being a venom because buckle up, friends, the evidence is stacked up. Varish has an abnormal influence over his bonded dragon, Solus. He and Jack the Venon have very similar perspectives about influencing dragons. They believe dragons are not as powerful as dragons claim to be and that they can be controlled and influenced when riders tap into their other power source. They believe that dragons just don't want you to think that there's another power source. There are other similarities between Bade and Solus that I want to point out here too. First of all, they are both smaller orange dragons who have been accused of having poor judgment for bonding with barbarians like these evil asshats. Both also have bad breath, which is odd to single these two out about it along with Kath, which we're not going down that road in this episode. When Venon are bonded with dragons, are they draining the dragons of their power source? I do wonder about that. We get Bade's opaque eyes instead of golden. We never do see anything mentioned 
different from Solus's golden eyes. So I don't think that it's that same thing that happens with Bade there. But there's so many similarities between Bade and Solus. And of course, we know that Jack is a bonded venom to Bade. It's a little too too suspicious here. All right, now point number two for Varish being a venom. Of course, there are very notable descriptions about Varish's character throughout part one that make us question if he's a venom. We've pointed a lot of these out already, but a few examples include Violet mentioning that Varish must not be human because he isn't sweating. So many mentions about being a controlled individual. Lots about that. One thing I want to throw in here is that early in chapter 35, it says, quote, Varish stops in front of me and I look straight into those pale soulless eyes. First, love the description of soulless and his dragon's name also being soulless, but also mending a soul. I do not think that the word soulless, S-O-U-L-L-E-S-S, is used here accidentally. I think it is very purposeful and it's very sus. There's also one other mention of soulless in this book. In the chapter 46 epigraph, it says, quote, it is somewhat fitting that the only weapon capable of killing a dark wielder is the same thing that drove them to soullessness, power. Huh, soullessness with Fennin, soulless with his fucking dragon's name. <laughs> it's like well, now, so, so soulless does mean light, but why light? Why light? There's no reason that Varish is light in any way. Soulless has to be for S-O-U-L-L-E-S-S. Like it has to be for soulless. And that to me is just a blaring neon sign of, oh, this guy doesn't have a soul. Huh. Mending a soul, bringing a soul back to life sounds pretty fucking venom to me. <laughs> like we said, there's a lot of evidence. <laughs> Now, moving on to point number three. Varish has close ties to Atos, who we assume knows more about Venon, both outside of Beskaith and within. There is also a line from Violet when she's wielding for punishment and thinks to herself that Varish looks at her like he knows what happened at Resin. Did Varish learn about this through his Venon network? Or is this separate from Colonel Atos's network? Like Just- on Venon LinkedIn? <laughs> Well, we know that they're communicating in some way from how Jack, which I have so many questions about how Jack communicates with them. But again, we will get to that way through Varish. He communicates to them through Varish. That's but why then how does Varish communicate with them? I have an idea. Oh, I what? have an idea about how. So mind signets. What if mind signets are a big thing? I'm going to get to this a lot in the opening of chapter 37 in next episode about the dream. But I do think that somehow Venon have connection to mind signets and maybe they have these extra powerful mind signets that can communicate really fucking far away. Maybe that's how Varish knows what's happening with the Venon outside is he also has a mind signet connection with them. I have a lot of questions about that because if Violet is having that dream, then that would mean that she has to have a mind signet as well. I will get to that when we Oh, all right. <laughs> Varys has a fixation on Violet's Feathertail and Darna. Colonel Atos told Varys that her dad was doing research on Feathertails and he finds it ironic that Violet then bonds with one. This particular interest in Andarna could be tied to Venon in which he either wants to kill the Feathertail or to learn more about this potential weapon against Venon. If this is true, then Varish really knows more about Andarna than we ever thought. Again, we've speculated that Andarna is the key, is the weapon to defeating the Venon, and somehow it's tied to Feathertails and Papa Sorengale's research. I don't know how the dots all align, but you all know that we definitely think that everything here is interconnected and this would absolutely fit with Varish being a Venon and wanting to take out Andarna or learn more about her. 
final point here, although I'm sure that we could keep talking about how Varish could potentially be a venom, so keep it going in all the comments. Varish is killed with an alloy hilted dagger, which is the only weapon we know kills venom. You know, besides Violet's lightning and apparently Andarna too. But it is the only weapon that can kill venom that everyone else has access to. The alloy hilted dagger is well placed in this scenario, but make no mistake, friends, it can't be an accident that this is the dagger that is used to kill him. It was orchestrated to be in this room when he needs to be killed. And I really do think that was on purpose. Now, to counter that, Violet also killed the assassin on assessment day with a regular dagger. So not sure how that works with these low level venom, but that's a big question mark for me. Do we know for sure that assassin is capital D dead? Yes. You sure? I'm not sure of anybody now being dead <laughs> after Jack, but except for Papa Sorengale because Rebecca did confirm yes. his death. <laughs> I don't think assassin number one is dead. I think that's another venom that they were working on bringing back to life, just like Jack after he got killed under the mountain. Why can't people just die? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Not in this world. Also, in chapter 35, Varish says, quote, And what have you been doing with the marked ones? We've been watching them for years. Which we? Navarian leadership or Venon? You know, there are so many points in this part one where we could wonder which we he refers to. And yeah, this is one example here. It's fucking delicious. I love this <laughs> shit. It is a very convincing argument that Varish is Venon. Like we do, we have to give both sides. So now let's discuss why Varish wouldn't be Venon. My main counterpoint to this is that Varish is such a power-hungry character. If he started channeling from the source, would he ever stop drawing more power? Jack confirms at the very end that Venon aren't as powerful within the wards. My main counterpoint is that Varish is such a power-hungry character. If he started channeling from the source, would he ever stop drawing more power? I don't think so. Here's what I will say in regards to this. We don't know when there, if he is Venon, we don't know when he started channeling. And we also only know him for technically a few months. True. So how long does it take to turn full Venon? How much has he been channeling in between? Now we don't have the red eye confirmation. So that does exactly a little bit of a question mark there. But we also don't know when, if he started channeling and how long it takes for you to turn full red distended eyes Venon. Which he also wouldn't be able to do within Navarre's wards. So Jack, at the very end of the book, confirms Venon aren't as powerful within the wards, but they still exist and there is no cure, only hunger for more power. And in chapter 66, Zayden notes that his signet feels more powerful and he has a craving to satisfy this need for power beneath him. God, that's sexy. I love this <laughs> shit. <laughs> Not with Jack, just with Zayden. <laughs> We assume that the serum controls the venom, but we can also assume that the serum is the same signet blocking elixir that Violet took. We've speculated if it is in the past. I really do think it is, especially after finishing my reread of the book where there is a lot of emphasis on venom and the serum and all of that there. It all kind of comes together. Along with these assumptions, we can assume that the serum is how leadership is able to keep Jack under control and probably some other venom here as well. Now, in order for 
bears to not crave and pull more power, thrust become more venom, he would have to take the serum as well, which he clearly is not because he uses his signet at every opportunity. So how does that all work, right? <laughs> My only other argument against Varys being venom is that, and I don't know how else to say this, but folks, not everyone is a venom. The fandom has absolutely spiraled wondering who is a venom, and that's totally understandable. We are one of them. Yes, we absolutely. Are, we, we are, are one in of them. that camp. <laughs> Which is totally understandable given all of this new knowledge we received in Iron Flame. But, and I just have to say this, but just because someone can be a venom and is evil enough to be one does not automatically mean that they are. So with all of this said, I'm going to lean towards Varish indeed being a venom, specifically because of the parallels between the influence he and Jack had over Solas and Bait. And I believe that there's some unknown explanation that we as readers just don't know yet for keeping his cravings at bay. Hopefully we do learn more about them and Zayden can start using whatever it is that Varish was using so he still has his powers but curbs that craving for more power. I am also going to shockingly go with Varish as a venom. For me, it's the soulless connection. That immediately just like tied the knot on this theory. I do agree with you that not everyone is Venon. But I think that if anyone is Venon, Varys is a pretty good (laughs) assumption that he is. But moving away from sadder things, sadder Venon things, Zayden's confession. Hopeless romantics, it is our time to rise. Our time has come. Let us break this beautiful moment down. Beat by beat. So Zayden tells the room to clear out, but don't worry about that because their voices apparently do carry because Dane hears this entire confession and just like all of us, he too falls in love with Zayden Ryerson in this moment. But Violet tells him over and over, I didn't break, I didn't break. And confessing in this moment that she did show Dane her memories. And this breaks my heart. Of course, she would automatically think that this is what matters to Zayden. Did she risk the movement? Did she put everything at bay? I mean, he's given her a lot of reason to think that this would be his first few questions. But then Zayden comes back with a, I trust you. First and foremost, boy, these three words, they need to remind these each other far more often that these three words are a thing. They say, I love you a lot. These are another three words I need them to remind each other of more often. But then Then Zayden goes on to say, quote, but it wouldn't matter to me if you had. We're leaving. I'm getting you the fuck out of here. This is what matters to him right now. It's not the secrecy of the movement. It's getting his love, the person he is literally tethered to in more ways than one, out. Violet fights back with a, quote, you'll lose everything you've worked for because of me. This is not the first time we're going to hear this from her. She says this pretty repeatedly in part two, especially towards the beginning. We also have to remember, Violet at her core is a selfless person. She, in these moments, immediately goes towards not focusing on the fact that she's been tortured for five days and how that must suck in the eyes of other people, you know, looking at her. She instead looks at how her torture affects others. People pleasers, you know what I'm saying all too well. But then Zayden comes in to shut that little voice up. I need Zayden to come and shut that little voice up in my head as well. That's where my husband comes in because he is exactly like that, where he shuts that up about me very often. (laughs) See, mine has husband is good at doing that as well for me for himself moving on he goes on to say quote I'm sorry if you don't expect me to do the noble thing I warned you I'm not sweet or soft or kind and you fell anyway (laughs) this is what you get Violet me the good the bad the unforgivable all of it I am yours oh my god if I didn't already love Zayden Ryerson this moment right here would send me over the freaking edge this is the morally gray character at their core the good the bad the unforgivable but in 
in the end, they are them and not pretending to be anyone else. This is fucking perfect. I also have to point out here, he says, I'm not sweet. This is another tie of the word sweet being connected to Zayden. Hello, Venom Dream in chapter 52. If you want a full beat by beat breakdown of that and why I tie in the word sweet here, go check out episode four of our Iron Flame deep dive. Then this is my favorite stretch. And Lexi, I'm going to quote the whole fucking thing and you're going to have to sit there and deal with it. I give up. I No, I love this part too. Like, please don't get me wrong. Like, I love all of this as well. You are just so much better at it. So I just kind of take a back seat and nod along and it's smile. Okay. You're much better at the dragon politics. And let me tell you, there's a lot that I'm going to sit back in episode seven that you're just going to oh, take the Oh gosh, for. yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> but onto this moment. Quote, you want to know something true, something real? I love you. I'm in love with you. I have been since the night the snow fell in your hair and you kissed me for the first time. I'm grateful my life is tied to yours because it means I won't have to face a day without you in it. My heart only beats as long as yours does. And when you die, I'll meet Malik at your side. And it's a damned good thing that you love me too because you're stuck with me in this life and every other one that could possibly follow. Fucking swoon! (laughs) This is so beautiful, but also quite ominous and possibly (laughs) foreshadowing. He says, my heart only beats as long as yours does. And when you die, I will meet Malik at your side. If this is not the you'll be the death of me tie-in oh god I'm so afraid ah also Demi in our emails pointed out a really great catch the epigraph in chapter 31 is from the book of Brennan and it says quote everyone thinks most rider cadets die from dragon fire truth be told it's usually gravity that gets us Zayden is constantly being connected to gravity, him being the center of her gravity. This is highly ominous language and I don't like it. I don't like it. Last thing I will just go ahead and close this out with is Zayden gives her these beautiful, heartfelt, slightly ominous paragraphs of a confession, giving her everything. He is laying it out on the table and Violet says four words. She says, I do love you. What a woman. What a woman of words. Now, to be fair, she's been tortured for five days. I'm going to say that again and again throughout this episode. So I don't blame her for not wanting to do a full-blown emotional monologue. She's drained as shit. But I do think that is slightly funny and very on brand with a lot of these, you know, romantic books that we read. I also want to do a quick shout out to the rescue mission that could have been that we learn about in Zayden's confession because apparently Violet's squad was put under guard and also given the signet blocking serum after they tried to rescue Violet the day before Zayden actually does. Yay, squad. Huzzah! Sort of a little, a little mini. Huzzah! (laughs) That was cute. (laughs) And then Garrick informs our crew escaping that they have a general size problem. I was not expecting another reveal like Lilith's in these two chapters, but here we fucking are. Now, I do wonder what finally caused her to hear that Violet was being tortured because she came back early from Caldir. Let's not forget that. But what finally was like, oh, my daughter's fucking where? My assumption is that when all of these dead wyvern were showing up at the outposts, she had to return to Bisgaith first to do the initial damage control to kind of get the lay of the land there before going out and doing even more. And once when she arrived there, she realized, 
oh, there's even more going on. Or she even assumed that there was something going on up his guy that caused all the rest of this and quickly was able to put the pieces together, especially since Violet's squad is also being held captive here because they tried to rescue her. Like, it would not be difficult for the general who's in charge of Bisgaith to come back and quickly learn about what has happened to her daughter and start going off and seeing what's going on there. So I agree with you. I think that makes a lot of sense. I love these lines like this on a reread. And I know we're about to learn why this is so important in literally just a matter of pages. But as Zayden is like, there's no way in fucking hell I'm leaving you with Violet talking to Lilith. Lilith retorts back with, quote, you of all people know the lengths I'll go in order to protect her, calling into their agreement last year. And it's just like, oh, stuff like that's so delicious. Now, we also learned that Zayden hunted down a dozen wyvern and killed them and also had dragons I'm assuming dragons drop them off at every outpost how did he do this in a matter of day like he must have been rage like fueled by rage this man and I'm I'm quite impressed because remember in order to get a dozen wyvern he would have probably had to kill a venom because he doesn't have lightning he can't just strike a wyvern out of the sky he would have had to kill a venom to then have all of the wyvern those venom create that venom created drop out of the sky like hacky sacks or dragons can also kill wyvern so the dragons would also be able to kill those wyvern too all i can imagine is garrick like chasing after zayden who is in just who's just seen red here and garrick being garrick exactly how he's doing here was like whoa buddy okay 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 yeah we're going after these wyvern okay and he's just like along for the ride because he is that supportive sidekick that we all need talk about pov chapters i want Garrick's POV from the- <laughs> during these five days. <laughs> In the lead up to Iron Flame's release, one of the big things the fandom speculated, of course, including us, was Lilith's true allegiance. This was one of the questions we actually included in our fourth wing survey. And out of 8,000, 8,000 respondents, 41% believed she had her own good secret agenda. For instance, she acted alone to protect Violet by pulling her from the scribes and into the writer's quadrant. 29% figured Lilith was worse than we know, thinking she's one of the main villains who, among other things, killed her husband for knowing the truth and 20% believed Lilith was a double agent for the rebellion like she was one helping Zayden and the marked one smuggle weapons out of Biscayeth and perhaps she knew that Brennan was alive and working with him from the inside of Navarre the other 10% of the survey was other I promise I did my math right so as it turns out she indeed did have her own agenda I love how so many of us were right with this theory but there's an added and unexpected twist. Yes, her priority was protecting Violet, but then surprise, protecting Violet included calling in her favor from Zayden. What, what? Another great example of Rebecca including an unexpected twist in a predicted theory is how Zayden got his second signet. So when we think about Lilith's character development and how her arc ends with her sacrifice to protect her children and kingdom at the end of this book, a lot of readers are frustrated that we don't ever feel an emotional connection to Lilith. Hers was the big death at the end of the book, and we don't really mourn her death, especially compared to the Liam heartbreak at the end of Fourth Wing. Lilith is not an emotional character, so of course it, it wouldn't make sense that we feel as connected to her as we did with Liam. That's the point of her character. It's not bad development of her character by any means. It's that this is the side of Lilith that Violet sees. So that's what we as the readers experience too. And literally when she's talking to Violet about carving into Zayden's back, her tone is described as 
bland. There's another moment where she talks about Zayden and Violet falling in love and she says that was disappointing. I will die. I would die for some kind of insider I wouldn't want a whole book about it, but at least a few chapters of like, what was her relationship with Papa Sorengo? Because apparent love of her life, she says it over and over again, like they were in love, but how did they express that love to each other? Because I don't think it was very sappy. Maybe he was like a big sap and she was like, you know, like, like a grumpy sunshine kind of a situation. I really hope that was the case. That's like my headcanon. There's so many couples that are like that though, where it's like one of them, usually the guy is super quiet and a little bit reserved. And then the wife is just like knives out, just ready to kill anybody at any time. I know quite a few people like that. I bring these two points up because we are not supposed to like Lilith just based off of the words used around her when we are literally having conversations with her. Bland, disappointing, stuff like that. We are not supposed to be emotionally connected to her the same way we were with Liam. We do, however, get small glimpses in all of our interactions with Lilith in Iron Flame, and I'll even say maybe a few in Fourth Wing too, that build up to her ultimate sacrifice to protect her children. Violet thinks that she sees worry on her face or she thinks that she sees her mom smiling a little bit like it's all of these I'll say hidden emotions that her mom lets slip out for just a second before she sucks it back in. I love this exchange because it is so telling about the differences between Lilith and Violet. Lilith says when she, Violet, has children they can discuss what Vi wants to do to keep them safe. To which Violet comes back with and what about their children? This really shows us what kind of different thinkers she and Lilith are. And I would argue most of the writer's quadrant and Violet, a trained scribe, are. Lilith is thinking about her kids. There's still that element of, I'm going to say selfishness involved here, but Violet is always thinking about others, the greater picture. I just love that line because remember, Violet has never been compared to her mother. Her mother was always compared to Brennan and Mira. Those were always the character traits that were resembled from Lilith. Violet was always from her father. And we get a just you wait line from Lilith when it's like, you know, when you have children, you'll understand. And I just like to take a moment for all my fellow parents who cringed just a little bit at that just you wait comment because we all know that comment all too well, no matter what stage we are in parenthood. This is a reminder to not say that comment as well to your other friends who are parents as too. So from Lilith in this exchange, we do get a rank stamp as to when you start learning about the greater outside war. Lilith says, by the time you've made captain or major, when Markham would start bringing you into the fold, as we do with most at those ranks. That seems low, like really low. Captain's not that much higher than lieutenant or second lieutenant. Like, How has this not gotten out already with so many fucking ranked military officers being in the know? You know, she does follow up that Violet would then unravel everything with emphasis on that everything. So I wonder if most of these higher ranks are brought into the fold, but there's propaganda with how it's all phrased. We know Markham, of course there's going to be propaganda about how this is all phrased so that it's making Navarre absolutely seem like this is the only option. And Violet would see past this propaganda and she would discover the real truth behind this partial truth others of high rank receive. That's how I imagine it. Let's talk about the deal. This shocked me to my 
fucking core. Rereading Fourth Wing with this info about the deal between Zayden and Lilith now feels like a very different experience. I love that when you reread a sequel or later books and then you go back to the first book and it is a different experience. Which pause for all of our friends who are currently reading book one of Akatar. That is the absolute perfect example of a completely different reread after you read book two. So just keep reading it. I promise book two makes it absolutely amazing in ways you can't even comprehend right now. Which actually, quick shout out, there's a Discord channel within our server that we have just for fantasy fangirls and our Patreon members that is devoted to people reading Akatar for the first time. And we have seasoned Akatar people encouraging them and talking them through stuff and all that kind of stuff. It is totally spoiler free, so don't worry about it. But just please know that you're not alone. And if you want a community of people, then go to that Discord channel. It's really fun. I hop in there every now and again, and it makes me so happy because there's a lot of people who read books one have a very I'll say blah experience and then go back after book two go into that channel and are like encouraging other people to keep reading it's really (laughs) awesome I love it oh it makes me so happy but back to this series so rereading fourth wing with this info does make it a different book violet recalls three moments in this moment with her mom the marked ones meeting where zayden didn't kill her in the middle of the night the challenge where he instructed her instead of killing her by the way this is chapter nine of fourth wing we also get this from zayden's pov in the special edition which we have an entire episode devoted to that and the threshing chapter speaking of threshing the threshing moment where he almost stepped in now obviously this we do not get from zayden's perspective but this is the moment before then where She's facing off with the three cadets and Darn is behind her. Taryn's about to land like a damn meteor out of the sky and he takes a step forward to try to save her right before Taryn shows up. So these are the three moments that she recalls and like many others, I'm sure that there are hundreds of moments where this thought went through his head of like, oh fuck, I have this deal with Lilith. But I just love that she recalls those specific three moments. Absolutely. And it gives so much more context to his motivation, to his whole, to even his POV chapters we were a little bit disappointed in his pov chapters that there wasn't more emphasis on this deal with Lilith. there's tiny 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 little hints that you could read between the lines now that we have this knowledge so there is this moment when lilith is parting ways with violet and she says this very cryptic line in my opinion lilith says quote i tell you to take arnica and see a healer but you already know that your father made sure you'd know everything you needed or where to find it where to find it. Is this a Papa Soringale's research? Wink, wink, hint, hint. Everything you needed and where you find it. wouldn't be an Iron Flame episode, Fantasy Fangirls, if we did not bring in Papa Soringale's research. But like, that has to be a nod towards it. Has to be. I absolutely agree. I think it's, it, there's so many layers to this, you know. Everything you needed or where to find it. The Fables of the Baron, that is I think the front and center thing that this would be. Also, it might even speak just to Violet's intelligence in general, too. Like, he really took so much care because he planned for her to be a scribe. And I wonder if Lilith kind of knew even more about what was going on than Papa Sorengale did, which I'm assuming that he was brought into the fold in some way. Maybe that goes back to he was provided that partial truth because he worked so closely with Markham and then he discovered the full truth or even more of a full truth that we don't even know yet through his research and Feather Tales and Andarna and all of that. So yes, I think that it's speaking to learning about the truth, about the venom and the wyvern and the histories and more. 
more the research more 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 i need to know who you think papa sorengale is because last episode you little tease i almost fury texted you (laughs) while i was editing that episode you mentioned that you have a running list of who you think papa sorengale might be based off of the epigraphs that we've had previously lexi if you do not start sharing that i'm gonna get mad I honestly haven't revisited my thoughts. So I still have it like they are not fully baked yet. I just have like tiny little notes right now. You'll be the first person that I share when I actually do have right now. Like I said, I have a short list and I have to go back through and vet that short list and do some cross-referencing. And quite frankly, it's almost Christmas. I do not have time to do that right now. (laughs) Do you know how many presents I have to wrap? (laughs) That's very fair. (laughs) Popular theory time. Yet another in this episode. So there is a very popular theory that Violet's dad is someone different than Violet is assuming that he is. Lines like this, quote, this is from Lilith, you're all that's left of him, you know. There's lines like this sprinkled out throughout the series that really have been the primary spark to this theory. Personally, I do think that lines like this are here to highlight Violet's scribe nature because Brennan and Mira are not like the dad. We have mentioned this, we literally just mentioned this a second ago, they are very much closer to resembling Lilith, not in looks, but in mannerisms and nature. Values, or what we think are values, you know, strength, power, those writer traits. Yes, and Violet has always been most close to her father knowledge I mean we saw this with the wards Brennan's like we need more weapons Zayden's like we need more weapons Violet's like we need to know how to raise the fucking wards you I dots that's what I'm gathering from lines like this from Lilith also in chapter 38 it's mentioned that Brennan lifts his eyebrows in a no-nonsense expression that quote makes him look just like dad I just don't see a scenario where several ties like this to Brennan and their father and you know like I I just I do think that it is actually their father. I agree. I think it's safe to say that Violet's parents were very much in love and had these three children together. Lilith even says here that he was the love of her life right before she dies. She's so excited to see him again. And in other parts of the book, like you just mentioned, Nicole, there are references to how Mira and Brennan literally look like their dad. They might not think like him, but they look like him. They have his laugh. There's there's those little tidbits there. But Violet doesn't just look like him. She thinks like him. And that is the real key here. So I can totally see where this theory came from. And I think that the evidence that he is indeed the father of all three of them is a little bit stronger. Last few little Lilith notes. As she's leaving, quote, the smile she gives me is tight and so full of sadness that I wonder if I'm hallucinating. I think that Lilith knows that this is most likely going to be one of the last times she sees her daughter. They are going to be on opposite ends of the war after this conversation. In her mind, this is quite literally a goodbye of sorts. And that makes her sad. Apparently Lilith is capable of feeling that emotion. She doesn't know when she's going to see Violet again and she especially doesn't know if she's going to be on the opposite end of a battlefield of Violet the next time she sees her. But then of course because it's Lilith she doesn't like getting too sappy because then she says quote Soringales walk or fly off the battlefield but they are never carried. This is as she's like unable to stand like, because she's been tortured. Lexi did you know she's been tortured for five days? What? Lilith, that is not a good look for you, girl. I read that part and it's like, and there's the Lilith we know. (laughs) Yeah. So I have to say, I was absolutely shocked that the choice to go to the revolution and all that unfolds here happened only halfway through the book. Remember when we thought this of sorts was going to be 
the end of the book? How naive we were. Good times. Well, in our defense, it was supposed to be the end of the book. And instead, it was decided to make these two books one book here. And they took out a whole lot of other stuff to to fit it into just one book. And a lot has been punted into book three. So Which I'm I can't so wait. excited. Oh my god. I cannot wait. Lexi, do you think that Papa Sorengale's research was in book two and instead it got punted <gasps> into book three? Well, now I do. <laughs> Yes, only time will tell. (laughs) Readers have a lot of varying opinions about Violet's decision to essentially tell everyone this big secret that she had been working so hard to hide all books so far. And my opening counterpoint to this is, we have to remember that plans change in all of our lives in many different instances. And this is certainly one of them when Zayden took it upon himself to drop a dead wyvern at the outposts and thrust expose the secret. He got the ball rolling here. Now, To be fair, she did with the royal vault heist, but he really took it up a few notches. This whole sequence is so chaotic. Big decisions have to quickly be made, and our characters are in such a whirlwind right now. Is it a whirlwind of their own making? Yes. And it all comes together now at a breaking point. In the next set of chapters, once we get into episode seven, there's going to be a lot of reflection about the reckless behavior that is done right now. But in this moment, it's just chaotic. It's a whirlwind. I mentioned the fork in the road earlier for Dane. Well, the fork in the road had to happen for everyone at some point too. And here it is. Here it all is right here, at least for all of our writers. The public, we learn later, actually they were able to hide the secret. So this is still not common knowledge to the public. Violet claims that they have to give the writers a choice or they're no better than leadership. And I have to wonder if she's feeling particularly strong about this because she's just coming off this conversation with her mom. But choice is also a theme of this series. In fact, it really is with a lot of fantasy books. And I get it. The truth is unraveling faster than anyone can control, so might as well get out in front of it. And not only tell the writers about it, but give them a choice in how to respond. I don't know if I would call this very fair to those writers, though. They have to make a quick, life-changing decision in a matter of minutes. You know, it makes me wonder about all the dragon and writer conversations that are going on in this formation. Think about the hundreds of conversations that are going on in everyone's heads. All of that to say, though, I believe Violet was a little naive in thinking this formation wouldn't be a total shit show. I love the role that the dragons are playing. They're the gatekeepers of information, and this is also a choice for them or rather a choice first for them, and if they give the green light, then it's a choice for their writer. Like I said over and over again in Fourth Wing, the dragons are ultimately the ones in charge of this relationship, unless you're bait or soulless. (laughs) (laughs) Because your writer's spending. (laughs) Let's talk about Bodhi, because we learn his signet, and holy shit, what a cool signet it is. This does raise a lot of questions, though. How does this work? Also, when leadership figured out that this was his signet, do you think that they were like, huh, this could be bad? (laughs) I would assume (laughs) they'd be like, why was this what he needed most? Because remember, signets come from what you needed most. And considering his signet counters other signets. Now, we don't know if it counters anything from the Griffins, but... Considering that if it doesn't, and it's only dragon riders from dragon riders, that would automatically mean that Bodhi, what he needs at his core is something that will protect him against a civil war. When it's like, 
Oh dear. But they also still do teach him because as he says to Professor Carr, you taught us too well. Again, I just have questions. I just have so many questions. But also, does he have to see the signet in order to use his counter signet? Or can he counter signets that you cannot see? For instance, mind signets. Also, why the hell has this not been used before? And this does make me want to know so badly, what the hell is Garrick's signet? Like, I really hope it's not just something so mediocre that it just hasn't been written on the page like it's not just like fire wielding or anything like that not that that's not cool but like it is a very common signet I don't think so because I think that there's a reason we don't know his signet yet but I do love distance wielding and to be honest that would make sense as to how they fucking hunted a dozen wyvern very quickly but Zayden does say that there hasn't been a distance wielder in centuries so it couldn't possibly be his best friend I do believe that it's got to be a subtle but badass signet. It's not on display in battle, so maybe it's a mind signet. Now, later on, when they're in Arisha and have to choose the six most powerful riders, Bodhi is one of them, but not Garrick. So that is another hint that Garrick... I'll call it, he has a sidekick signet. (laughs) I think that's a great way of putting it. But again, we brought this up a little bit ago, but I want to bring it up just one more time. If Bodhi, because I'm assuming in order to use his signet, he has to, for lack of a better term, feel the signet around him. Now, again, this goes to, can he use a signet only if he can see the signet he's trying to counter be used, like fire? Or can he counter mind signets just by feeling that a mind signet is being used? Which in that case, does he know that Zayden's an intrinsic? I'm going to say no. I think, Yes. Wouldn't that I be I think that cool? he know, but he just has been absolutely silent about it. Because like solidarity. But that would make him also in his own way an intensic too. Because that would but mean only- that he all automatically has access to knowing what everyone's classified mind signets are. Maybe he doesn't know what they are, but maybe he just feels a mind. Like maybe, you know, Zayden's in a room and he's using his intensic abilities on someone. You know, like when, when someone farts and you don't know who it is. And he's just like, I smell a signet. Like I smell a signet being used. But he doesn't know who it is. He doesn't know what it is. So maybe he doesn't know that it is Zayden. He doesn't know even what it is. But he does But he wouldn't even be able to feel that it's happening, though. That's the whole point. Oh, except the tingling on the spine. I think his, his signet works like farts. That's funny. I think it is a little bit more like he has to see it. There's a little bit more of a physical element to it. But I am. That is very interesting. That is so interesting to think about. I think you're probably right. I would like to take a moment, though, for all the first years who are newly bonded, who flew 18 hours to Eurasia without a formal, here's how to keep your seat training. Maybe the dragons use that like magic to bond them in place. Honestly, I freaking hope so. But my God, they are not used to... Have you ever done like a cycling class? No, I avoid those at all costs. You've even asked me if I'll do one with you. And I'm like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I might try to get you to one at some point. Maybe that'll be one of my The whole time. I know. I love it. (laughs) But that's what you do. That's the point of it. But when you do a cycling class and you're not used to it, and then the next day you are waddling because you're poor butt. And that's just for an hour. Can you imagine 18 hours of just cycling class feeling like that? My butt would be my worst nightmare. (laughs) I know. R.I.P. to everyone who left by this guy has butts. <laughs> Sounds like I should be a t-shirt. <laughs> uh, I'm 
a little surprised that almost half of the quadrant left, having no idea where they're going or what is in store for them, but they need to do the right thing for the continent. Plus, there are twice as many dragons with their hatchlings, which is a really big deal for these dragons. Hatchlings do not leave the protection of the veil. Like, that is a dragon rule kind of thing. And here they are. They are doing what's right to protect the continent, not just Navarre, and props to all of them. And last but not least, they arrive at Erasia. Poor Brennan. <laughs> Poor He's Brennan. Such an innocent bystander in all of this. I can't believe that this is the second time in like four or so months that Zayden shows up with Violet in dire need of mending. Like, no wonder he's like, what did you do this time? Like, what did you do? If that's such an older sibling thing to say. And imagine the assembly, you know, just going about their day. They have a nice breakfast. They're arguing with each other as they do. And 200 dragons and 100 riders, not just riders, but cadets, as they call them, children, show up on their doorstep. I have to say that I think they handle this really well in the next stretch of chapters, all things considered. I almost just spit out my coffee. That just killed me. To like, like, like talk oh about God. a wrench in your day. <laughs> like they're having like their little sweet rolls, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they just see, they look out the window. What, what, what? <laughs> oh my God. That kills me. I've laughed uh, more in this episode than I thought I would. <laughs> me too. Alrighty, it is time to move into foreshadowing. There are quite a number of moments of foreshadowing in this stretch of chapters that we have not mentioned. And I want to kick it off with Violet believing that because Zayden got away with Warwick's journal, that Brennan will be able to decipher it. Basically, like she's doing the worst saved dance, you know, in her mind Sarah. as she's in <laughs> as she's in her torture chamber. But alas. Brennan cannot read old Lucerish, only Tirish. And I just have to point out again, how is Varish able to read Lyra's journal in Moranian? It's like our, out of all of our smart crew with gifts for languages, only one, Jesenia, is able to read it. So props to you, Varish, for that one thing. Didn't like that. Did not like that. <laughs> Nicole, you mentioned this, but I have to bring it up in this section here too. There is a lot of foreshadowing in Zayden's love confession. He'll happily watch Arisha burn to the ground if it means that Violet lives. When Violet dies, Zayden will meet Malik at her side. They are stuck with each other in this life and every other one that follows. Now we learn at the end of this book what lengths Zayden is willing to go to to have a chance at saving Violet. And this sets up his eventual pull from the source and start to lose his soul. Like this whole love confession is the blueprints to why he makes the decision he makes. You just had a big aha look to your face. So what are you going to say? Maybe this is my own desperate need to make sure that they get out of the series alive. But you said stuck with each other in this life and every other one that follows. What if they get resurrected? I... I'm still of the belief that all of the resurrection talk that was in Fourth Wing was teeing up for Brennan's resurrection. I think that's the big resurrection that we get here. I'm not counting Jack because that was not the same thing. His wasn't a resurrection. His was brink of death brought back. The more I read part two, I think Brennan was a full resurrection. Not I think so too, yeah. and especially there's something going on with those ruins in his hand, which are not mentioned when his hands are raised in part two. I hate that foreshadowing in Zayden Love's <laughs> confession. I don't like it one bit. When discussing the scars on Zayden's back, Lilith says it's a tearish cust, but then Violet cuts her off. We now know that 
Zayden has 108 scars on his body in a tearish custom. So I wonder if Violet is going to ever take on this custom herself. We have mentioned numerous times that Violet most likely will end up as the Duchess of Eurasia if things go the way that they go and that highly ominous confession is not foreshadowing from Zayden. But I do think that at some point she is going to take on this tearish custom as well. I also wonder, because whenever someone is cut off in this world, it normally means they're about to drop some really important info and then Violet or someone cuts them off. Again, it's just redirecting our focus as the audience. So I wonder why that tearish custom is so important. So that's more of a question mark foreshadowing. But I do think that is at some point Violet is going to take on this custom for herself. For who? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, maybe that they do it for like Arik or someone because his identity is still a secret. Interesting. Yeah. I, I have know. no idea. I have no idea who it would be for. I mean, like Sloane would be one of my, maybe it's for Kat. No, I don't think it's we're, for I'm I not, I know we were talking last episode about she's growing on us and I think that might have been too strong of language for me. She, I understand her character more, but after I was finishing my reread and it's like, yeah, okay, she gives Violet a dagger, but she's still a bitch. I know. I just got to the Viscount Takara stuff, and I was like, never mind. <laughs> I really hate you. I really hate you. Oh, my goodness. And then last but not least, foreshadowing-wise, from Tarn, quote, I lost Solus in a network of caves while I was hunting him, so I was unable to kill him and Varish myself for their actions. I guess those caves are tunneled underground to Erasia because, yes, we will see Solus in a cave later in this book. Next up, let us step into the archives where each episode, Lexi educates us all on a prominent world building topic for this stretch of chapters. You did not give yourself an easy task this episode, ma'am. I certainly did not. As I do for some of our archive sections, especially the more difficult ones where it's not like straight up keywords that I can search for, I go to our Discord and I ask members to essentially do a double check for me. And as always, they really came through. So with the help of Shauna, Kelsimbo, Brooke, Celie Queen, Sarah T, and Mike Lutza, let's dive into today's archives topic, which is very prevalent in this episode's two chapters, Mind Signets. So let's dive into everything we know about mind powers in this universe. To kick it off, I'm defining mind powers as magical abilities to tap into someone else's mind in some way, shape, or form. We're not talking about shields here. We're not talking about General Melgren's signet. This is mind powers that can, in some way, shape, or form, go into someone else's mind. This ability is seen in both Dragon Rider signets and Griffin Flyer abilities, who don't have signets per se, but they kind of do, despite not calling it that. Don't worry, we'll get more into Griffin Flyers in a different archives. Let's have a quick overview of mind signets and powers. Like I said, Dragon Riders label their unique power as a signet, and some of these signets center around the mind. Memories, seeing weaknesses, knowing when someone tells the truth and such. In the writer's quadrant, you will get killed if you manifest an intrinsic signet. We saw this happen when Jeremiah's signet manifested and he couldn't stop repeating everyone's thoughts around him. However, that is the only signet, mind or otherwise, that will get you killed. If you have any other mind signet, it is most likely classified, and you probably won't be front and center for battles, which does make sense because most of these signets are just not very useful in battle, unless you're Varish and you can see weaknesses, which he does admit is helpful for battles. Along these lines, writers with mind signets are far more likely to be used for interrogation. Think Nora for the truth sayer. 
Now, Griffin Flyers, on the other hand, do not label their unique powers as signets, and mind powers are no exception. Mind signets are certainly prevalent among the Griffin Flyers, and they should not be underestimated. Let's dive into known mind signets and powers. So, we have retrocognition, reading memories. We know that this one is Dane's. It requires touching the person's face, and it kind of works like Google, like we said. Focus on a certain word to find it in the memory. If this is being used, I'll call it against you, you can feel their presence at the edge of your mind if you know what to look for. And practicing this signet strengthens and trains the ability to look further back in memory, not just recent memories. Another mind signet is wiping short-term memory. We can assume this also requires touch because Imogen touches the guard in Iron Flame when she wipes his memory. I personally question this because I'm still hung up on Imogen using her power more than we think, but that is not a discussion for the archives. A big signet that we see in part one and especially in this stretch of chapters is truth sayers. They can tell when someone is telling the truth or a lie. We know that this is both a dragon rider and griffin flyer mind power ability. One of the iron flame epigraphs states the only signet more terrifying than an intrinsic is a truth sayer and yet we let them live. I personally don't know how much I agree with this statement but it certainly is quite the ability. We learn that there are a few variations of truth sayers. I do believe that there are multiple signets where the end result is the same, but the way to get your results varies. Truth sayers are a great example. We have Nora who knows when you're lying or telling the truth. And another interrogator can tell when someone is telling the truth based on their bodily functions. From his statement that his signet is similar to Nora's, we can assume that Nora knows whether it's the truth through different means. Moving on to another big signet that was featured here in the stretch of chapter, seeing weaknesses. As Varish puts it, he doesn't see people, he sees their weaknesses, which is why he is oh so good at his interrogation job. Now to counter that, I love that all of these, the nature loves all things and balances with the stealing or taking people's memories and then wiping their memories. And in this case too, seeing weaknesses and seeing desires. Opposite of Varish, Viscount Takaris has the gift of knowing what it is people want, which he uses to motivate them to give up their treasures. And another one which we learn all too much about from Kat, heightened emotions. So far, we've seen this as only a Flyer ability, but we don't know. It might be a Dragon Rider as well. It is the power of heightening the emotions of people around them. It does weaken with distance and high elevations because Griffins have difficulty at elevation, hindering the power they channel to their flyer. Do not perceive this as a way of outright manipulating emotion. There's a fine line here, but this ability cannot create, warp, or sway emotions. It can only heighten existing emotion. Moving on with the mind signets here to one that we are all very familiar with now, intensics. It cannot be emphasized enough that this is the only signet that gets you killed. And it is definitely not a rare signet, which is kind of surprising. A cadet each year or so manifests this signet and is promptly killed, in most cases by Professor Carr. While Zayden believes that there are types of intensics, Rebecca Yaros has stated that he actually doesn't know that because he is the only intensic that is known. I'm personally in the camp that there are types of intensics, even though the differences may be considered nuances. Like I just said, I think there's signets where the means to get the same results are different. This in particular may be another example. There are types of intensics who can ultimately essentially read minds, but how they read minds varies or 
would vary if they didn't kill everybody. Since no intrinsic is allowed to live, we just don't know how or if this ability varies. Zayden describes his intrinsic ability as, and I quote, the breath of the second before the actual thought, the subconscious motivation you might not even be aware of in your mind, or when instinct drives you to move or you're looking to betray someone. The intent is always there. Mostly they come across as pictures, but some people intend in really clear pictures. Personally, I wonder if maybe it's like more decisive people intend in really clear pictures. But anyway, Jeremiah, on the other hand, seemed able to literally read people's thoughts as they were having them. Now we know Zayden can respond to thoughts, so I'm not sure exactly how that works with his intentions. I know you've been really on one with that, Nicole, but I'm just pointing out what we've observed here, where I do think that there are types of intensics that ultimately have the same result, but there are little nuances about how they get the thoughts and how they receive those thoughts into their own mind. Why are all but one of these mind signets allowed? They can be really powerful in their own way with manipulation or swaying or learning about classified information. Ultimately, it comes down to the ability to control and use to Navarre's advantage. A clear example is using these writers for interrogation. And in many cases, there is an ability to contain their mind signet. Dangerous abilities that could gather secrets leadership doesn't want you to know are allowed because they have to touch someone. People like Dane have to touch someone, so theoretically, leadership can control how he uses this information-gathering signet. On the other hand, intrinsics have open doors to everything. There's no need to touch. They are considered a high security risk to the entire kingdom, especially considering the secrets the kingdom has because they would have full access to all classified information. Now let's talk about countering mind signets. Nicole and I kind of touched on this a little bit, but let's look at the facts that we know of. Mental shields are key to preventing mind powers being used on you. The stronger your shields, the better you're able to block them out. However, if you have a mind signet and put your shields up, I believe you cannot then use your mind signet on others because your shields are up against other mind signets. For example, Satan lowers his shields for a second to see what Varish's intentions are for Violet's interrogation assessment, and that's when we can assume Varish seized his opportunity to use his own mind signet against Zayden. Runes are another way of blocking at least a few of mind signets that we know of. Cat's ability to heighten emotions is blocked by a specific rune. General Melgren's battle premonition signet, which, like I said, we're not counting in this archives as a mind signet because it's not directed at other people. It is blocked by more than three marked ones together because of a rune. We also don't know how Bodhi's signet of countering signets come into play with mind signets. How many more times can I say signet in one sentence? Could he stop Dane from stealing Violet's memory, for instance, if he touches her? Very possibly. We just don't know. God bless you for doing these. It's honestly amazing. Like, you all, it is amazing how much work Lexi puts into these archives and don't know what I'd do without you. We would not have an archive section, that's for sure. <laughs> Let's close this episode out with taking flight with our favorite moments. Quote, I'm not defenseless. I'm still in full possession of my mind. This is why Violet is our female main character. She is the best of, she's the best of both worlds. I have to put my Hannah Montana reference in here. But her mind is just another weapon like her lightning. I love lines like that that really bring that to the forefront. It is also very fun learning Imogen's last name, which is Cardulo. This is a really good trivia question. I think our Patreon members are still scarred from how difficult we made our last trivia. And to be fair, it wasn't all of the questions that were hard. True. Just the hard questions were really hard. 
Oh my God. Shouts to our winners. You all did amazing. Quote, he's Liam there. Every time I open my eyes, watching, talking me through the torture, holding my sanity together while simultaneously proving it's already left. You mentioned this line earlier, but I have to mention it here too. The chills you get reading this line. It is just, it is a chef's kiss, beautiful line. We don't get a lot of Garrick in this book, but we do get a good amount of him, at least in here in chapter 36. And I have to point out just a few perfect lines from him. Quote, God's damn, you took off running and then couldn't save a single one for me. Took me forever to clear the barricade of bodies in the staircase. <laughs> like this is to your point earlier where he, like Zane's just seeing red and Garrick is truly just along for the ride. Poor guy. And then quote, You've looked better, Violet, but I'm glad you're alive. My personal favorite is when he looks between Dane and Varish and says, oh, is that what's happening? When Varish accuses Dane of turning traitor. Like, I can just picture this so perfectly in my head and is hilariously beautiful. Chapter 36 is Garrick's shining moment. Like, we love Garrick and we need more of him. I really want more Garrick. I'm so sad he wasn't in this book more. Quote, I just killed the vice commandant of the quadrant. What the fuck am I supposed to do now? Go back to class? (laughs) May I just say, Harry Potter did. (laughs) He really fucked up most of his DADA professors, you know, with Lockhart. I guess that was actually Ron, but I mean, I could go on and on. But point is, he does return to class. He does. Probably shouldn't have, I'm being honest. (laughs) Remember, it's just the body that is fragile. You are unbreakable. Oh, God. So beautiful. I love it. Zayden says to Violet that Lilith is a fucking monster, in which she replies, she's my mother. And if that doesn't describe Lilith in a nutshell, I don't know what does. Yep. Retweet. (laughs) Speaking of Lilith, Violet confronts her by saying it's not right to let poor male citizens die defenseless, to which Lilith responds, I never said it was. It really shows that she had to make a tough choice, knowing the consequences and not necessarily feeling good about them even though she is confident in her decision there was no good answer to this and she chose what she felt was right for navarre zayden commanding the courtyard he has his shadows come in and like engulf the entire quadrant in darkness he booms his voice super loud to like amplify it and then also a shadow like gently brushes violet's cheek where she's injured like shadow daddy love it's just so cool seeing zayden's signet be used in such a way but then garrick says fucking show off (laughs) see i'm telling you garrick has some serious sidekick signet energy (laughs) he really is like the ron stoppable of the impossible ron stoppable duo for satan and garrick oh man bodie's the naked mole rat he's rufus (laughs) i do not remember that much about kim possible oh trust me i've got enough knowledge for both of us (laughs) i know you do that was always your favorite show zayden's rallying speech he's such a leader you can defend navarre or you can fight for the continent it just gives me chills you know it makes me think about how there was that one epigraph that says fen had this like presence to command armies to command people as an infantry and here we get to see Zayden like father like son I love that and to wrap it up Tarn you're an incredibly needy species compared to ours and honestly agreed I do feel like I as a human am quite needy like it's quite annoying hey you know what I need sleep (laughs) a a nap I need sleep. I need food. We have been going for three hours. And that concludes our episode six here today. Next episode will be on Monday, January 1st. We do have an episode coming out on the 1st. Wow. 
2024. Here we come. We are going to be starting part two and covering chapters 37 through 40. And we do have an exciting surprise dropping with that episode. So definitely keep your eyes peeled. You will know it the second you see it. We are also starting a monthly newsletter soon for all listeners. It'll have the Fantasy Fangirls podcast and event schedule, a roundup of other fantasy reads, and lots more from Nicole and I. So go ahead, make sure to sign up for it in the show notes, YouTube caption, website, or social bio links. Really, wherever you find your Fantasy Fangirls links, it'll be there. Thank you, as always, to our executive producer, Hayden, aka our sanity manager. We truly don't know what we would do without you. Really and truly. And of course, if you want more Fantasy Fangirls content, if you want to be part of the Patreon community, you know what you have to do. Go ahead, go sign up for Patreon. There are those two tiers and we will see you in the Discord. And of course, if you're not following us on Instagram and TikTok, what are you doing? Go follow us at Fantasy Fangirls Pod and you know us, we always have extra social content. Also, please do not forget to take a moment to rate and review the show. That two seconds it takes for you to hit the five star button on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on or if you're watching on YouTube hitting that like and subscribe button you all have no idea how helpful it is for us for getting the word out growing this into our full-time jobs a lot of you have asked how you can support us that is a huge way that takes literally 0.5 seconds from you to do so thank you to those of you who have done it already and last but not least you know what I'm gonna say and that is share this episode with your fellow iron flame friends those friends that you are like the Dane arc what do we do how do we feel we're here to walk you through it we're here to hold your hand and probably scream into a pillow with you but at least you won't be alone friends happy new year we love you all from the bottom of our hearts thank you for making 2023 one of the most special years of Lexi's and I's life we love you oh my gosh I'm gonna start tearing up (laughs) now it's time to play Lexi's chapter 35 reaction enjoy is Dane going to lie and say Violet? No, but no, Oregon, no. Oh my God. What's he going to do? If Dane gets her out of this, okay, I will, okay, I will accept that. But only if you get her out of this day. God fucking damn it, Dane. So I just finished part one, and all I can say is huzzah, huzzah, huzzah.